Welcome to Talking in Stations, recorded live on Twitch, Saturdays, 1500 Universal Time. I'm your host, Madderall. This is a podcast about EVE Online, a sci-fi computer game played around the clock from people all over the world. Politics, sovereignty, trade, economics, war, all have created a 14-year continuum of epic history, all created by the players themselves. This week, we're going to be talking about the CSM, the Council of Stellar Management, which has come together for a summit, and lots of interesting news has come out of it. We'll go ahead and talk about moon mining and some market-related stuff as well. Uh, so prepare yourself. It's going to be a great show. We have a lot of people to prove it, a lot of really intelligent people. But first, uh, if you would like to support the show, we would greatly appreciate follows, subscribes, bits, tips, all during the show. That's how you vote for a show. You do that sort of thing during the show. Uh, and if you are listening to the podcast, we would appreciate contributions at patreon.com slash and on behalf of the team, I want to thank you for your continual support. All right, let's get right to introductions because we have a giant group. Consider this a round table and a brain trust. These are some of the, uh, for me, smartest guys uh, that play EVE. There are a lot of smart people, but these guys are among them. So uh, top to bottom, let's go uh, Apple Pear. Start with you. Hello, I'm uh, Apple Pear, member of Hokuyuku and part of the Kunsan Federation. Hey, I'm Caleb. I'm one of the Primadoc uh, market people. Carneros? Oh, good morning. Uh, Carneros, the uh, CEO of the Bastion. Hey, what's up? It's uh, Dirk McGurk from the Open Comm Show, member of uh, Sniggerly in Pandemic Legion. Hi, Jeronica. Hi, yes, I'm Jeronica. I'm the CEO and founder of Eve Mobile, and I'm in Habit in Pandemic Legion. Hi, I'm uh, Yintan. I'm CBA's representative on the CSM, amongst many, many other things. I wear a lot of hats and a lot of ties. Newman? Hi, I'm a new man, director of uh, Hard Knock Sync. Been on uh, CSIM 11 and 12. I'm Seamus Dunhu. I'm a professor in the education department at Eve University. And last but not least, me, Tiberius Stargazer, a member of Dust Corporation within Northern Coalition and a staff member over at Eve NT. All right, this is a big one. Lots of people here, lots of ideas, uh, and lots to talk about. But first, we're going to talk about moon mining, and uh, that's where a lot of the news was. And we're going to talk about markets with Jeronica after that. And then we'll get back to CSM minutes and go through the minutes uh, and give you some insight on how you can prepare for what's coming. Okay, who wants to open up with moon mining? CCP kind of opened up with moon mining the other day when they had a uh, when they had a live Twitch broadcast where they uh, you know were showing really you know what the new moon mining is going to look like from from anchoring the you know anchoring the uh, the refinery to uh, you know blasting the chunk off and kind of you know kind of what the field is going to look like and sort of the internal mechanisms I, I thought they really did a good job with that so I mean while we you know what we're going to talk about it here I you know highly suggest that anybody who uh, you know is is going to be involved in either either moon mining itself or or you know the refining process um, you know all of that to uh, go out and check out that on their on their twitch channel uh, when you get a chance and it's and also on their uh, YouTube channel as well if you're subscribed to that. Yeah, and one change they announced for all Citadels there during that stream is that when you anchor in Citadel, you have now start within 15 minutes uh, timer that you can shoot the structure. You don't have to wait at least a day to do that. So that's a uh, nice, interesting change. And they're going to spread that to all of the uh, structures, all right? Structure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Same time. And that, explain why that's a big deal. It's basically if you 
like spend your entire time like destroying a structure and then the people that you destroyed the structure for uh, ninja down another structure before you can get one down uh, it allows you to take out you know another one uh, instantly rather than having to wait uh, 24 hours kind of important yes. back in the pos system because uh, a lot of people would be trying to put up the pos first before the other person yeah, so it was a race to put something up before uh, another one was put down because then you'd have to wait another day or two to actually attack it and start all over. So, yeah. Well, that was, you know, that was one of the things. And, you know, I think you really saw a lot of that during during kind of the, the, the tech wars, right? You know, when there was really battling over moons, um, you know, and, and you'd have this big, you know, this big conflagration fight over this moon, over this, you know, over this pause. You would destroy it. And, you know, it was just, well, which side could just smack down the stick again? you know, immediately, um, you know, and it was a race to that. Whereas here, you're not going to have that. Now you'll have this 15 minute vulnerability window um, where if you do knock it down uh, and other people are on grid, they can immediately begin to to hit it. You know, and the fact that they're going to stretch this out to, net, you know, to all structures, you know, going forward, um, you know, I think is also, uh, I think that's also good that there should be a vulnerability as somebody's putting it, you know, putting one of these things down, uh, that it can be immediately attacked for a short period there. Tibbs? Yeah, so I'm kind of curious as to why they've, they've set it up this way, um, doing this whole 15-minute timer as opposed to coming up with some other solution to it. Um, to I know it kinda... that, isn't it to get that patty cake uh, competition thing going? So it's someone puts something up, then it gets I mean, shut down, then another one comes up, then another comes up. Yeah, but why didn't they just do something along the lines of if two people tried to anchor uh, these refineries with these modules on it, they both cancelled each other out and it wouldn't actually do anything until the other one was destroyed, for example. Why, why didn't they? Uh, why didn't CCP uh, go down the line of doing something like that, we think? I'm pretty sure this sounds more fun and it's going to create more destruction, I think. Well, I mean, uh, okay, so so we probably need to back up a little bit is that the only place that you'll be able to anchor one of these things, if you want it to actually be used for moon mining, um, is at a specific point. Um, I forget what they call it, a moon mining... Uh, point. Yeah. Um, and you'll only... And within the range of this, of this point in space off of a moon, you will only be able to anchor one of these refineries. It's probably just the warp in point of the moon. So you right-click empty space, you select a moon, you warp to zero, there you are. I know it's a special beacon uh, that you can select when you warp to a moon as an option to warp to. It's oh, is it? Yeah. I think it's going to have its own drop-down, uh, like warp to. Ah, I stand corrected. Carneros, did you have something? Just that it, it might be that uh, doing it with an additional online cycle might be less code to write and it might be less risky than having it check for each other and cancel each other out and have edge cases and a lot more to test. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say probably the way it was explained, I think, by uh, CCP was that you have to control the field. And once you do, you kind of have rights to it. So if they want to drop three or four or five structures in a row, you can just eliminate them or have a chance to eliminate them one after another. So you really have to control the space and then you get to put yours down and it takes 15 minutes to clear so that, it, you know, um, yeah, you can't, you can't just block people like they used to. There's a lot of weird mechanics in EVE history where you would put something down and shoot it yourself in order to trigger it and that would lock it up for a few days and it would create a timer, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just trying to eliminate that. Or all structures, which is important. 
and the part about it there being a beacon where you can mine from, that's very important because that means uh, it was originally proposed as you can put as many refineries around a moon as you wanted to, but only one could mine at one time. So you could imagine there's four or five refineries around a moon and one would be going and when one stops, another one would get going. But nope, they went back to kind of the pause system where there's one refinery per moon uh, that can actually do the mining. Now, what does that mean? That means that somebody who doesn't want a moon mine will put a refinery down and block everybody else from moon mining because they can put their refinery down and not mine anything. Well, they so could. They, they, they could they, do that. They could. Like, let, let's say, for instance, that they wanted to come into your space and just drop one. They have no intention of moon mining it, but they're going to block you, right? And they're going to maybe make you come out and try and attack it. If you know, if they want that moon space or something like that, uh, it could be used for bait. Um, it could be just used to block somebody. You know, I don't know how much of that you know will actually go on, but yeah, I mean the potential is there for it. What do you guys think? Will it happen? I think so. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think we, if we, someone's they... baiting them, uh, taking their space like someone's invading them, the uh, people who are getting invaded will drop a bunch of refineries on the moon. So. Oh yeah, on invasion tactics, sure, I, I agree. So maybe we along with the, uh, because citadels are really important at the moment for making incursions into other people's space, uh, because it gives you a good platform to, to leap off into their space and, and harass them with. So you're thinking potentially that maybe refineries would become the thing to put on moons, um, rather than just your standard sort of citadel type things now. I'm sure CCP had this discussion amongst themselves, and they're like, this is great conflict generator. Let's do it. And uh, I, I think they know that this is going to cause a lot of uh, pain because it allows people to really mess with you, and that's what they want so that you'll fight back. It's like, you know, poke, 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 poke. Come on. I'm taking your lunch money. But uh, it is going to, I think, a lot of hand-wringing for people who don't have the numbers to stand up to groups that want to uh, do that sort of thing. But for PL, that's a huge payday, right? Because that's what they do. So look out, Brave. Your moons are going to get <laughs> blocked. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. We have a guest, Jeronica, uh, we want to bring in. Um, but first, let's wrap up moon mining. Do you guys have anything else on this? Oh, uh, yeah, there's a huge thing, and that is the, um, the reset. Do we think that's going to cause a bunch of upset? <laughs> yes. Yes. We've been saying that for a while, right? I mean, we've been saying that that the dislocation that's Sorry. going to happen from from um, a complete and total reset of every moon, uh, you know, out there is going to be, you know, disruptive. Uh, it's going to be disruptive in a number of ways. Number one, you know, what you have right now is not necessarily what you're going to have in the future in terms of quality of moons or anything like that. Um, you know, you're going to have to go out there and, I mean, look. Number one, you're gonna have to scan your own space and see what you've got, right? Uh, this, you know the space that you kind of you know control in one way or another. Um, you know whether it be in in nullsec or lowsec. Uh, low um, you know, but then you're gonna have organizations out there that want to know. Well, I want to know what everything else is out there. Is this the region I still want to be kind of focusing on, or you know, mm -hmm. do we need to move someplace else? So you'll have some of these big organizations that are going to have. You know, people out there scanning everything. Who knows? Maybe even working together to give themselves both lists together. I know people who, who put in requests for time off for the first day, <laughs> specifically <laughs> just to go around scanning moons. So I, this, I know those people will be there at work. They this, put, that's funny. This this gives me an interesting question. Now, excuse me, Mrs. Suddenly deciding to do them recycling in the middle of when I'm talking in my show. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll carry on. Um, so. 
this is an interesting point. So at the moment, CCP, when they uh, rebalanced and redistributed the moons, when was it? I think it was four years ago, three, four years ago, something like that. Um, they set them up to give them quite a nice even balance around the, uh, you know, the universe. Has probably maybe a question that CSM guys may be able to answer. Has there been any change to that sort of setup? I mean, will the distributions kind of be the same it is now? They just be on different moons, or is there like a whole different thing going hard on? Hard NDA. That would yeah, be but uh, Fozzy did say that it's going to be slightly the same, right? He said it's not going to be major changes to the distribution of the rare stuff. Know. It's going to be slightly similar yeah. value, right? Well, he said the amounts, I think the total realm of amounts, and that's one of the points I wanted to make too, would be a little bit greater. But it looks like the system is a lot less efficient than it was. Yeah, so of course. That's going to put a lot of pressure. Labor, right? Yeah, it's going well, to put there, a lot of pressure. I mean, there is... There is speculation. You know, I don't even want to call it speculation. Um, um, uh, Kenneth Feld, I think, you know, had had said either here or someplace else that uh, over in a Slack channel that you know goes on, you know, where I guess some devs have have made some comments that when they do this redistribution, right? When they when they do this whole wipe and and whatever algorithm that they're using for doing, it's potentially going to seek to uh, distribute things maybe better than what it has in the past. Uh, maybe with, you know, an eye towards more of that kind of null sex self-sufficiency kind of, you know, you know, kind of idea um, that you're not going to get big globs of, of just really good stuff in one place. And then, you know, over here is dead and, you know, dead and barren for, for that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, so we'll have to see. I mean, you know, you know, because again, this isn't even just about, well, how are we you know, redistributing R64s, right? I mean, the moons as we know them now are going away. And in the future, those moons, number one, moons are going, every moon's going to have something on it. It may be just or right, you know, or or it or it may be moon goo plus or, or it may be these other things. Um, but Derek, you have to add the labor cost, right? The labor cost, if that's going to be a flat rate, that means that when you add the labor cost to the lower end stuff, that actually means that it's going to be a lot more valuable because it's going to require the same work, right? Where in the past, because of, of distribution uh, scarcity, then the price was very low because it was easy to get to, right? Now it's going to be hard, so you're going to get that markup. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, and I don't just discount that. I, I'm just more talking about kind of the distribution of these things. That that it's not even going to just be like you know an R64 here is the same as an R64 over there. You know, you know that that you know a tech moon here and a tech moon there are identical, right? I mean, moons are going to be different even amongst their own kind of class. Hmm. And you're also going to get the out jackpot that. thing as you well. You'll see a whole new pricing on everything because of this right because the composition everything needs everything so so you you will not can have probably this go over that better module. in the actual refinery minutes which are later on this is just talking about the other changes that weren't covered in the minutes that have now been publicized all right so let's summarize real quick so every moon is going to have something i think that's important uh only one refinery per moon per spot so either moon you're either mining it or you're blocking it for somebody else um, there's generally going to be the same amount of moon goo in the existence, but there is a less efficient system, which probably means prices for moon goo will go up and stay up. And there's a court mining ledger, which will allow people basically to tax if they want to. And they're also adding that data to uh, APIs, so you can add it into all your fa fancy third-party tools as well for your court management stuff. Oh, great. So we'll see a lot of that. All right, let's go on to, you want to talk about refineries, Jintan? Oh, no, I was just saying, uh, if we're going to go and 
Well, I, I thought we we're going to go through the notes, so we can touch on that when we get to them. Okay, yeah, because when we talk about CSM, we'll talk about refineries. Uh, all right, the next thing I want to talk about is uh, to bring in Jeronica here. And, uh, oh, one thing that Newman brought up, the jackpot chunk, uh, if you're reading these minutes, explain what that is, Newman. Uh, basically, it's just going to have a RNG chance of having a bunch of uh, moon goo in a rock. So it's a random generator. Uh, yeah, so basically, you Basically, like, think like jackpot. dense feldspar, so you get 10% more yield or something like that, but fewer moon rocks. Cool. So a little extra every once in a while to, to surprise people. The, the, the other part I just wanted to touch on was, yeah. that was the second half of that paragraph. Was that someone suggested that maybe some great big eldritch monster sometimes appears? Which would be quite funny. But that's not going to happen, but it was touched upon in the notes. And I thought that was a hilarious idea. Just suddenly you put up a moon chunk and instead of a nice bonus one or a regular one, you get something that's just like, oh, what is this? So you dig uh, into a rock, you find a gazebo, and then it reaches out and kills you. <laughs> a deadly gazebo. All, All right, right, yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, markets. Jeronica, thanks for coming. Can you tell us um, your strategies for the change? How are people supposed to prepare for these changes? Um, right now, I think the Moongu market is kind of high. So if you're speculating in there, it's probably too late at this point. Um, so salvage is still going to be a good thing to uh, speculate in, though, because all those refineries coming online will need to have rigs, and those rigs take salvage. And I think there's some people in the market discussion area who have been investing a few hundred billion into salvage. So they uh, they obviously see something there. But um, but yeah, there's there's lots of things to be changing in the next patch, and uh, there's going to be a lot of volatility for uh, people to make money off of. Um, I did want to, however, touch about the uh, Plex. Their opening statement in the minutes is talking about Plex. And the fact that they kind of want to get rid of the offshoring, which is something I completely agree with. I don't know what anyone else here thinks of that. Explain well, offshoring. Explain Thank you. Don't know. So offshoring is a um, concept where you go to a low-tax, often 0% citadel, one jump away from the hub, to do all your trading. And that's basically um, or primarily the RMT items, so the Plex injectors extractors stuff like that and i'm a very i'm very against that because i feel that it lets people trade with immense amounts of wealth for free and i just think that's a bad move for the whole state of the uh, economy um so i'm very happy to see that ccp thinks the same and, well, well you should maybe disclaimer. comment that uh, it's Kind of because CCP's pricing scheme is pretty flat and not very dynamic responsive, so it doesn't take uh, into account uh, volume or activity or trade at all. There's no uh, market index like there's an industry index, so that's why offshoring is such a good idea because you're basically avoiding that tax. But that's uh, an interesting uh, idea. That's just an so interesting we, idea. Just so we put it clearly, you're the owner of uh, citadels, citadel or citadels around. The Gita area. So for you, your profit is say at two percent because you have it at a low percentage for people who want to trade with Gita. But people who put up citadels and go zero percent, you only need to pay a hundred isk for your trade. That's undercutting you. So you would want to see this gone, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, a lot of people say that I am against it because I want to consume that tax. Mm -hmm. But 
and all the uh, comments I've said and articles I've written, I've always proposed an NPC tax to kind of uh, be an is sync for for CCP to consume some of the isk in the in the industry and markets right now. Yeah, and to be fair, it's not just you that thinks this. Uh, everybody that I've talked to or heard from has said the same thing. I think it's uh, like unanimous agreement that zero percent is just too low. Yeah, it's just that there's no incentive to compete in any other way than a race to the bottom, right? Because of CCP's flat pricing model, right? So, so there's no dynamic. There's no increase in fuel consumption uh, based on activity of a of a market uh, module. Uh, and the same with the with the NPC stations. They are just fixed and and static. It's a dynamic model that would solve this problem and making it a two two tiered one, same as uh, with pricing on industry slots. When you say it's a race to the bottom, you're saying it's a race to cut your tax, your fees for the transaction to zero. Yeah, you're basically cutting until uh, you have uh, the majority of the market and you can't cut further down than zero. So everyone has just been racing to a zero broker fee market. And it basically just reduces the margin in between the buy and sell quite a bit. So if you even had it, if you had that tax there, you'll still make money. It's just the margin will be a slightly bigger to account for that tax yeah okay um, uh, go ahead so, uh, is there anybody out there who's actually arguing against this you know for for maintaining the status quo of of uh, offshoring there's one group they're called um planet five you probably see them in the uh, oh yeah they're the ones that have zero taxes i've used them sorry yeah. <laughs> Personally, I do, I do not agree that we need to get rid of offshoring. I think we need to have a system that actually creates a proper incentive to compete, right? That's also the only way to, in a good way, pull the markets off of the NPC hubs. The only way to do that is to nerf the NPC hubs. So there is a competition for between players, so players take over. I think the larger like problem is the just the... Um margin trading to where people can set up these orders and have no skin in the game. They don't get punished for, you know, uh, setting up these basically like fake orders uh, and they're, they're ghosting their buy orders. And a module has run out of charges. Connecting. Good. We are back. Let, me, let me know when we can confirm that. Okay, cool. We are back. I confirm. We are. Great. Terrific. Thanks. The margin Sorry. traders tried to take us down, but we're back. <laughs> and, and we don't have Mark Hazarar in the studio either, so he didn't do anything either. Damn you, Planet Trading. QV conspiracy theories. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to what we were talking about. Jeronica, let's finish up this uh, segment, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I also wanted to talk about the uh, Plex that CCP has stockpiled. I saw that Jintan, um, in the minutes he commented saying that the Plex prices are too high, and CCP replied saying they have a stockpile of Plex they were willing to put into manipulation, but I just don't think that'll have a long-term effect on anything unless they fix this uh, free trading issue. Well, um, uh, is there is there a problem with high, high Plex? Does it hurt the game? People think, I think it does. it hurts the game. Like, if people... Uh, straight up, like not being priced out of the game because of it. I think that's overall bad because you know CCP's all of the, all of these changes we've been seeing from CCP are trying to get more people online. You know, if the cost of Plex is reducing the amount of people who are able to be online, I think that's overall bad. Plex 
is a poll tax on living, and it's a regressive tax because you do not have to pay more just because you are higher skilled or better at actually sucking ISK. There's uh, three things I want to say about this. Is uh, a higher ISK price for Plex is better for the consumer that buys Plex from CCP. They're getting more return for their, their purchase. That's not true. And you don't think so? Because no, because then you're not you're not taking into account the the actual value of the ISK. What is its purchasing power? And right now, because of the huge ISK faucets, the purchasing power of ISK is actually sucky. All right, that's fine to disagree. Let him get through his three points, and then yeah. we can come back to it. The second thing is, uh, you know, um, basically like how much time people can spend, uh, you know, playing the game just to make the ISK to like Gen Chan saying that's getting priced out. Uh, and the third thing I think I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why you forgot. At the end of the day, uh, if CCP is losing like long-term customers to the fact that they can't afford Plex anymore, I think that's I think that's bad. Um, but that's just my personal perspective. Obviously, it's at the end of the day their balance sheet and their prerogative to fix that. It's just something that I like to raise with them. Which is why they should really start listening to some of the arguments and the numbers that were suggested by Aerith, right? They need to come up with a number on average of what income you need to actually pay for a for Plex. Or how many hours it takes to earn that income. Yeah, exactly. How, how long and, and on average, that means including all the lower rung and middle class people in you. Well, so, okay, yeah. look. You kind of got to go back to what is the purpose of Plex, right? Plex was not invented as a social welfare program or anything like that, right? It is not. I mean, I'm being I'm being deadly serious here. That okay. it was it, it was it was invented to combat illicit real money trading, right? And and the vehicle by which they were going to do that, or the method by which they were going to do that, was there are some people who have money in real life and would like to buy their way through the grinding of, of getting ISK, right? And then there are other people who apparently have a lot of time in EVE that they can go and grind and, you know, be able to afford then, you know, buying those Plex to, to you know, get their own game time. Um, it, it's, it, it never has been about this is for all the people. It's no, no, the, the point is that it, it is it, it is exclusive right now. It, it pushes out the newer players and the people that do not yet have access to the ISK faucets. I, and, and I would it's counteract that. Players, yeah, I would counter that with um, they don't want newer players necessarily buy and Plex. They want them to subscribe um, because subscribers become long-term players. Yes, they might get a little bit more money out of it, but I, I still can't understand why... A new player would, because it's impossible. It's imp it's almost impossible to grind one and a half billion is worth of plex, and it. We're not we're not talking about that. We're talking about established people. But anyway, can we we should probably get off this topic because we could. This is a whole show in itself. Like we could honestly go for an entire show about rabbit hole. It's not just a whole show. It is literally a multi-year conversation. Mm. <laughs> it will always be the same conversation. Yeah, like it, it will always be at 300 million. It was too high at 500 million. It's right. too high at 1.3 billion. Our, our guest, Jeronica, wanted to touch on it. We touched on it. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on, Jeronica? No, that's about everything I saw in the CSM minutes I have talked about. I, I do Can I just say one thing to Dirk? Because it is now Plex serves the role of being a good alternative to a proper free-to-play model. So even though there might have been other reasons in the past, today it serves as a really good model instead of actually having a free-to-play game. 
Yeah, I think that you know, I think that in the minutes, it, you know, when it did talk about this stockpile of Plex that they have, that's for combating, you know, really for combating kind of either manipulation or runaway prices or things like that. I still don't think that they've used it for that, um, you know, at least not to where it's come up in any minutes since Doctor E back in the day. Um, I think they're still trying to do it by by using um, by using uh, you know Plex sales. But, uh, you know, that has limited effect. I mean, the fact of the matter is the price of Plex is just going to continue to go up as the utility of Plex continues to go up um, and the incomes of people in the game continue to go up. And as more risk gets printed into the game, it gets more more, more worthless and it will continue to That's go up. the important number, right? It's the issue <laughs> that increases the price. It's actually following it exactly on the same percentage per month. All right. We'll move on. We'll do a whole show on Plex, how it works, what you should do, should you buy, should you not buy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we'll manipulate the market and make a ton of money while CCP tries to stop us. Okay, let's move on to uh, CSM Minutes, because we have a couple CSM guys here, Jin Tan and Newman, and we want to ask them uh, some questions as we go along. So we'll just start at the very top. And I thought this was kind of funny. They said uh, they opened up with greetings and then they did roadmap and then roadmap was totally redacted. So <laughs> no information on roadmap directly from the minutes. I, um, I will. I would like to say something on that, which is yeah. that we did point out that it's really crap that people don't have access to a roadmap and people don't feel like they know, you know, what the future is for the game. That's something well, we really tried to get across to CCPC goal. And I think she, I think she understood that. So I, 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 you know, I've got real hope that we will see a roadmap in one or two months. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Especially because some of the information later that CCP was revealing was that people feel like there's no, uh, that there's nothing happening. So I see how those two things relate. At the same time, people are, oh, there's a gorgeous man behind you, Carneros. Cabana uh, boy. <laughs> I, I apologize. <laughs> um, makes me feel like I need to work out. The, the thing is that if you tell uh, players what's coming, uh, they can prepare better for it. And the people who are, you know, six month thinkers that think six months ahead or a year, uh, those guys know where it's going to go. So they start putting, you know, money in the right places and that sort of thing. So is it unfair advantage? Mm, maybe. I don't know. I don't think it's unfair advantage compared to the level of hope that it gives people when they know that there is a roadmap. I mean, it, in yeah. a way, it is a marketing tool. When you show that, look, we have plans, it makes the players of the game feel a little more confident in, in maybe what the future is going to be for you. Oh, and the people that are actually investing in stuff like that, pretty much that's also a player retention thing, right? Because they stay. <laughs> Well, and, and, and that's important because this game is a game, unlike others, where you do real investments for long periods of time. It's not just, I'll play this for a few months and see if I like it. I mean, you really, people who play this game seriously invest a lot of thinking into it. They invest money into it, uh, certainly a lot of time into it. And so you want to make sure that your investment has growth potential because you like the direction of the company. So it's kind of like being a, a shareholder of uh, EVE Online. Is, is this game going in the same direction that I, that I think it should go, want it to go? And yeah, this is a good investment. I should definitely stick with it. No. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we give CCP money in the idea that the game will have its longevity and there will be something for us to play in a few months' time. If we don't feel like there's nothing to pay, we're not going to be giving them that money. All right. Well, our first stop is Resource Wars. What's going on there? Somebody from uh, somebody want to explain it? Um, I'm looking at... What exactly have they made public, Jintan? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, true. It's dangerous about, for you guys. About production or... 
resource, no, no, resource wars the new pve um it's going to be uh the, the sites are going to be size limited you know you're going to be able to bring uh, one to five people in or something like that and basically you have the choice of either going and attacking pirates that are, def- that are trying to kill npc miners or you can mine yourself basically you just got to get as much ore as possible I know some people are currently discussing using battle skiffs, and I think that's great. I would love to see that be the optimal solution to the site. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, structured PvE. Hopefully, it's going to be below the income level of level 4s by a you know, margin, but it's going to be more interesting than just running level 4s constantly. It's uh, also going to affect your standing as well. Yeah, it's going to fix your standing as well. The real thing that we wanted to uh, bring up is the fact that it doesn't really have, right now, a mechanic to... Uh, set up pug groups, you know, so that you can go looking for a group and get together five people and go run a site. I think that's something TSP needs to look into in the long term, but, you know. Is it going so, to affect your faction standing, or just your standing to those, to these new corporations that are associated with it? I believe it's just, um, I believe it's a new corporation, but I, I cannot remember for the life of me. Well, there are new corporations, and, and it does say that it's going to affect your standing towards them. I just didn't know if it was also somehow going to affect your... There were successfully Imperial War like, Reserves, the State Military Stockpile, the Federal Strategic Material, and the Republic Fleet Ordinance. Isn't that also to level the playing field, so everyone kind of starts at the same point? Well, before we get like really in depth into the mechanics, like, assume that you haven't read, and you haven't read the dev blog, which I haven't, what exactly is it? Like, what, yeah. what happens? What, what happens is these, these things appear. They're somewhat instanced in that they're limited in space, so only a certain amount of people can participate in any one. You warp in, and you can either mine or defend the miners as they go about their business. And there will be uh, NPC competitors that will come in and try to stop you, so you'll have opportunities to fight or get killed. I guess that's kind of like an incursion-type setup. Uh, but for mining uh, ops. And this was supposed to be an extension of training because once you finished the tutorials, there really wasn't much to do. You just go and do missions, and that didn't feel right. They had some, when they looked at it, they thought that's not a good transition, so let's give them something to do in the environment that isn't a mission. And so this is what they came up with. I believe that's what they said. You're also going to be like dropping off the ore into the NPCs. You're not going to be like keeping it. Right, so you don't keep the ore. The only thing you get out of this is well faction standing which is what you said uh and you get what are the rewards for doing this Uh, i believe one of the main things you get is a crate which is kind of angled towards newer players and it gives you kind of things that you'd like Uh, we talked about this in the minutes quite extensively like talking about things that new players would want i'd really like to uh say if, if you guys think we missed anything that new players would need to kind of help them get forwards in the game uh, please go and contact us. You know, we talked about skills. We talked about some way to train faster. Talked about ships. Talked about fittings. Things like that. It'd be great if we're missing you to hang us up. But but yeah, the the base rewards are going to be ISK, LP, and standing. Um, you know. Yeah, but the LP can be traded in these crates, which are not random. I will repeat right. that again. The crates are not random. They are a set loot table. Sorry, they're a set loot list that you get per crate. It's like a dish set that you buy at Macy's. Why would they put it in a crate and not make it random? I don't get that. <laughs> um, it's basically so you only have to click once, otherwise you'd have to get every other, every single item. It's like how annoying would that be? <laughs> well, yeah. then don't call it a crate. Call it the, Don't ignore the entire rest of the games industry's uh, <laughs> setups. Call it a, uh, 
a package or, or a... We have those loot crates already for those blood rays to use, and they have those crates like with certain events already. So, and for me, it's uh, I think it's good that HiSec gets some new PVE content, uh, something else to do, and some love for them. So, uh, I, I do. See how goes. I, I want to say that I do love the fact that like so many HiSec people are super butthurt about this because they they just want they just want like there's a significant community that all they want is just more missions. Just give me more solo PVE content. Where I don't have to buy like burners don't count for this apparently because they're too difficult and they require like fits that they don't want to use. It's just like they want more stuff they can do in their raven. That's it. But but how much of how much raven of the feedback back. that the CSM is getting does that actually reflect that? I mean, is it a small part of the like high set communities that's saying that, or is that a large part, like a, a really large part? I don't know. We don't. We can't really contact the high set community. They're also gone well, quiet. I think <laughs> like, this tried. is. This is also a topic for a different show because I really love this topic, and that is uh, how do I? How, how, uh, somebody, I think it was Ancient Gamer Noob, brought this up, and I thought it was brilliant. And that was, look, we don't move to cities uh, to meet everybody in the city. We move to cities sometimes to live among many other people, but just to be there by ourselves. And I think that Eve is kind of that world. That's what virtual worlds are. It's just one among many. Uh, so some people just want to do their thing, and missions are their thing that they do knowing that there's a bigger, wider world, more political world around them, that they're part of something, but they don't actually have to engage it. And I think that's a big... Uh... And there's room for that. I mean, there's, there's obviously room for that in EVE. I mean, you know, this, this PVE you know, thing that they're putting out here with Resource Wars um, it, you know, is just a different form of PVE. And, you know, and it's you know, a form that you can apparently group up with other people. Um, it, it's just... It's just an, another new thing. I mean, you know, Jen, you know, Jen is right. There are a lot of people out there that ask for it, you know, because missions are what they know, right? Um, it, you know, it's the known versus versus asking for, say, the unknown. Um, you, know, you know, so they they have been asking for those to be updated or to or to get new missions, you know, put in because it's 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 easy to ask for that. Yeah, the thing is, we've tried to get feedback from the community. Like we had a PV roundtable last year, and kind of the main feedback that we got from that is people wanted more social pve like this people wanted more ways to kind of work with small groups of players and kind of go have fun in in high sec or in low sec well there's a caveat though and i think um, um incursions kind of proved this to me when incursions came around i thought it was the best new gameplay in a long time and this is right after apocrypha right because you could group up with people that you didn't know uh yeah. and you didn't have to become their best friend you didn't have to give them a blood sample to be able to be trusted by them. You really just kind of got into the game, and there was a talk channel, so you could actually be on voice comms to coordinate your uh, strike force and play with them. And then when it was over, you could go away. And it was like, what, free sex in the 80s or 70s, where you just meet somebody, it's a short thing, and then you go on and you do your the rest of your life. It wasn't this... Um, I was born in the wrong decade. Yeah, I know. Uh, I have to, you know. I don't have to commit myself completely to knowing who you are and that sort of thing and that kind of stuff is necessary for people who want to basically live alone but have a social life my god um i've gotten off track let's talk about uh quick quick recovery quick recovery uh, um, sex in the 70s thing was sounding good <laughs> i was i was like what? oh no, i was seven, intrigued i was seven years old what, what do I we know? were we were talking about resource wars we were uh uh one question that kind of came up is is this going to encourage more new players or a greater percentage of new players to move into career mining as as their uh, choice for Eve? 
Well, yeah. uh, potentially. I, I'm. I think I'm more. I'm more hoping that it just breeds more small groups. Like uh, that's that's really what this is for. This is a reason for people to work together. I'm just hoping it makes yeah, those social fun. social corporations in high sec actually do stuff together. Yeah, 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 of, totally. Yeah, and become more of a real corporations. Yeah, totally. Because because we gotta kind of treat high sec as as what it is it's the nursery for where people build their connections and build their corporations and get together and eventually move on to whatever they do and start creating content for other people and start creating content for themselves well that's um, not condescending well no uh, well that was that condescending that's what it should well you know that's what, right, that's what yeah. it should be for but it, it's like it, if people are going to start making their connections, when they start getting into the game, that is where they're going to do it. Like, you know, you, you pop around your local systems and you meet, bump into someone and go, hey, and you start a conversation and then all of a sudden you've got a corp together or something. And I think more of this stuff is probably a really good thing for, for the health of the game overall, uh, more competitive options. But again, totally right. There is certainly going to be a, a core element that all they want to do is log in, run their mission or mine their belt or whatever, and not talk or interact with anybody. And it, I guess CCP's got a really difficult balancing act, trying to appeal to both audiences, because it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to skip the EVE economics. We talked about Plex, and again, we can spin that off to talk in a deeper way about it. So let's go to structures, though. They're going to change up the timers. What happened there, Jintan? Oh, uh, we're skipping all the way down to refineries, OK? Um... No, actually, this is just uh, structures where the vulnerability timer is going to be spread, the 15-minute one. We already talked about that, but <clears throat> um, they did say in this section of the notes that they were basically going to uh, focus on jump bridges, Sinojammers, and Sino beacons so that they could actually replace the player-owned structures, the pauses of the past. So they are still on that path to eliminate the old structures and totally replace them with the new, right? Uh, I think that's still, still the plan, yeah. Yeah. There was some talk, and I, I read it a couple of times. I couldn't quite get my head around it. Is it, re is it true that there are a lot of dead structures out there that people don't use, or is that just... It's, it's not that, that's not what we're talking about immediately. We're talking about the lack of maintenance that's required that will have inevitably lead to that. Because we're, we're not seeing it yet because structures haven't been out for that long, but we know this is going to be a problem. Like every single NoSec organization has a plan that if they get invaded, we're just going to spam our own space with structures and like just fucking make your life hell. Try and grind through everything, you know, make people spend a million plus man hours to grind through every piece of shit that we put in our space. And that's just horrible. Well, I think you know, terrible you, mechanic. I think you saw a little bit of it, you know, uh, you know, with the the northern incursion or whatever the heck that was, um, with the roach motels that that the Imperium was spreading around up there, right? Um, these are all things that required, you know, no maintenance. Um, they just sit there. Not that they can't be used, but you know, generally they were, you know, just sort of like you know, left out there all over the place. Yeah. I think we also talked a little bit about like you know just having a little bit of logistical maintenance for like all structures like that's what the CSM wanted. Um, so basically, you know, you'd have to at least fuel it or something, um, and then if you did kill it, you'd get the fuel to drop, and it'd be you know, you know, if these people want to fuel their citadels for two months or you know a year or whatever, or put the maximum amount of fuel that you can put in the the hangar, then you're you know there's a possibility you get that big drop of loot, uh, fuel. <laughs> Something for killing, you know, uh, uh, an unused citadel. Uh, it'll be like um, 
Mad Max, the war of fuel, the war over fuel. Um, one of the things we did, uh, Dirk, I, I didn't know whether to say this or not, but if you want to talk about low sec, uh, no, sec no, 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 that was a joke to the audience. Go to open comms because they totally covered it. <laughs> open comms last night, big chunk of it was talking about low sec. I will bring this up because I don't know if it got brought up on open comms. Um, people seem to think of low sec in terms of there's not enough content in it for the PVPers, but how, how come I never hear um, any criticism on low sec having an incentive for high seckers, guys that want to basically play in some kind of safety? We don't really talk about them kind of creeping in and dipping their toe into uh, dangerous space, uh, low sec, like what are the incentives for them? What, what would be, why can't we look at it from their point of view as well? I think when it comes to low sec, there's a lot of different points of view to look at. And in the end, you still come out with, it's always been bad. It was kind of, it, it, it's going, it's going to probably get worse because of this moon situation changing, um, or it's going to change in a different way, whatever, but it's still going to be kind of the redheaded stepchild of Eve. I mean, you mean asking what you want in terms of, uh, like PVE, which we specifically talked about in that, you know, multiple things. We talked about how standings are a real barrier for people getting involved in F War, which is, you know, very much a high sec uh, bound issue. Like if you're a high sec player who's like, oh, I want to try out Faction Warfare, you can pretty easily tank your standings and basically be locked out of where you might have lived before. Um, we want to, we would really love them to put the, uh, let me actually check to make sure that's not been NDA'd out for a second. <laughs> well, I was looking at that, like, <laughs> taking notes. For a low sec, it's like, you know, the high sec people that are only going to ever play in high sec, like, they don't, they have no intention. And then it's like trying to change those people's minds a little bit and get some people to try it. And then there's some people that are like, I just got to be in high sec until, you know, I progress to low sec to null sec. Or then there's the, the new player that jumps straight into null sec. There's just different mentalities, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, a noisy gamer put his finger on it. Uh, high sec care bears are going. If they're going to leave high sec, they're going to go straight for an empire that's established and stable, like either in the north with uh, Darkness Coalition, or in the south with Human uh, Force Coalition, uh, the Imperium. So they're going to totally skip over low sec. Uh, and and why wouldn't they? There's nothing there for them. There's maybe um, I, when I was transitioning, I went from high sec to low sec. It was to do a little bit better mining because I figured, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, there's bigger rocks. I don't have to switch my lasers as much. And that was my incentive. That's what pulled me in to try to, try to go into these dangerous waters to get a little bit further ahead. But I was killed within two minutes. So I turned around and said, yeah, okay, that's not, that's not the right place. There's no getting away with it kind of thing. Oh. Don't be sad for me, but <laughs> like, is, is that all there was? It was just a bigger rock. You know, it's like, really? Like, I think, guess what? It's not worth it. Well, the first, it's not worth it. I mean, the first time I actually went into from high sec to low sec um, was because my, my little sandcastle or my little high sec mining corporation got war decked and I didn't know how to PvP at all because I'd only been paying for, for like two or three months. And these guys were causing all sorts of havoc. And I was like, well, where do I go to learn PvP? Faction Warfare. It just went straight in there. And then a couple of months later, it was the Battle of Asakai and the rest was history from there. Um, I think... I think low sec is probably having a bit of a, a crisis identity at the moment. Um, I, I have no idea, literally no idea what the health of, of low sec is. But it, from what I can see from my perspective, it just seems to be you either go super big, aka snuff, shadow cartel, and the like like that, 
or you remain super small and you just kind of do your thing like you 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 harass the faction warfare guys or you get involved with the faction warfare stuff i know the faction warfare things are certainly a lot more organized um and it's a nice stepping point for things but i think there there's no real sort of like identity other than you either go in and just potter around and do your own little thing like where is the nursery for for low sec organizations to start pulling together following the moon changes and things like that that you would have seen from stuff and stuff like that yeah i just want to say that it is an nda but something that we suggested was bringing say blood roid uh blood raider soitoyos if we could have like blood raider asbels in um low sec with like just the cats That'd be an interesting thing that would get people, you know, it looks like more unique PvE and mm. give people a reason to coalesce there to do because am I right? Yeah, because am I right in thinking really the the major PvE type things, the reason that people will want to populate low sec uh, for income purposes is literally faction warfare, low sec incursions. If you've got a group big enough to do them, um, level five, and that's essentially it. What's level five? So there you go. That was the one I was thinking of. That's expensive. The point is that you keep using the terms nursery or preparatory training ground and stuff like that. I think the problem is that there is no overall idea of the individual ecosystems in, in, in EVE anymore. There's no actual function for low sec. Yeah. I'm saying right. with, with high sec that you said that it's just a matter of how fast people get socialized and move out. It's like, what if you don't want to? What if you want to figure out how to live in high sec or low sec? Or wormholes. It's like these things need to have a, a clear identity and a clear function on the overall ecosystem. And right now, this has been lost. It might have been there like seven years ago, but with uh, everyone gets anomaly tits to suck on, it's dead. Okay, uh, let's end this topic here because it's again a rabbit hole that we would go down for ages. Maybe we'll uh, invite um, Reza and uh, Jintan back so they can talk about low sec on a different show. <laughs> And hopefully they don't fight like they always do. I'll I'll try not to be fucking drunk as shit for that episode. How about that? Start another anime war too. All right. Um, So let's move on to live events. Uh, This is interesting because they designate live events not like they used to where the devs get in there and try to make something happen. Um, Live events are really this agency stuff, isn't it? Seasonal. Yeah, like seasonal events, I'd call them more than live. I think that was kind of interesting. And uh, we did find out that Blood uh, Harvest, is that what it's called, is back this uh, for October. I guess it's their Halloween event. Uh, then they will be going to an untitled mining-style event that's going to be happening. And then we'll go into some kind of a Christmas event. And so this is, it's, it's interesting, it's kind of a seasonal thing that um, would give players an opportunity to do something that only lasts for uh, a certain amount of time and then goes away. And then you have to wait for the next year to, for it to come back, which is kind of interesting. So it's kind of live events like it used to be. I kind of like what... I don't think they've quite found the right balance yet, but I like the experimentation that's going on. I like the little little bits of trying different things, and I like the variety of stuff because it kind of makes me sit there and look at it and go, do I want to do this? Do I want to try that? Um, I love the thing through the tournament because I got my IGC Scout uh, suit, which I love. It's like a great... (laughs) It's a great outfit for for your characters. But... um, I do like the experimentation. I'm going to be very interested to see how CCP develops it over the next sort of three, three or six months, um, because they seem to be adding iterations to it regularly, which is really nice. Yeah, I mean, there's somebody now as well. It, I mean, a team is solely responsible for it, Team Event Horizon. 
and that was uh it was kind of a uh before it was one of the team's like responsibilities uh for a different team oh i see so it was now it's their sole responsibility Mm -hmm. yeah and i want to tell people that don't know that uh, tiberius there that was just talking was somebody who finished the serpentis event and got himself a blueprint and it burnt him out (laughs) to some degree i needed a break for a month after that one (laughs) recovery time (laughs) so there's a lot of content in these things Literally, my only note out of that team event horizon uh, part of the minutes was I highlighted. Steve added that it would be cool to have an event about salvaging. <laughs> and then I just moved on. You know, one of the biggest <laughs> independent corporations in EVE Online is a corporation based around salvaging. And all they do is pair up mission runners that don't want to salvage with new people that don't want to fight. And they can you know, put those two together and they get um, to go and salvage and make money. And the corporation makes a little bit of that cut and they have over 500 people that... Uh, no way. Yeah. yeah. But it's one of the things that for new players that join the Imperium is uh, the first thing they people say is uh, go salvage. It's an easy way to make a lot of money, especially with the prices that are there now. And there are a lot of players also uh, that don't want to salvage, so they pair up with like super carry ratters or carry ratters and then salvage the sides behind them and it's a great way for new players to make a decent amount of risk to uh, get them into other things yeah i, I like there's a mentor I, when i first started there was somebody who mentored me and was doing his level four missions or something and he was just letting me go and loot the the wrecks and stuff that i didn't even have salvaging skills and that was actually kind of a bonding experience so yeah if you could arrange something like that i think it's pretty cool but it is a little forced to have a salvaging the game because what do you i mean it sounds like you're at a company picnic and there's sack races and there's all these really like forced you know fun things to do it, it, it just seems a little bit forced uh all right uh moving on to did we cover structures and timers because we've kind of touched not, on it a few times no not directly not, not directly and that's probably you know that's probably a pretty big topic so right I and mean, you know because because one of the things i believe it was before the summit that that um that uh, Seagull's, you know, video postcard thing came out where it's like, you know, we hear you, we hear the, you know, these issues out there and the, you know, the stuff about um, the stuff about structures and timers and whatnot that they were supposedly going to be working on sooner rather than waiting until structures were all completely done. Um, and the first step of this, I believe, was this particular part, part of the conversation at the summit um, where they were talking to the CSM about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of like in terms of vulnerability timers, uh, I think the exact words I used were, you know, this is this is choking your game to death. Is that is that all? Yeah, Nothing hyperbolic. Like, I no, I, I think that's genuinely serious. It okay. is choking the game to death. Like what that's is- why if you look at what I said in the refineries thing. Um, yeah. You know, they was talking about you know having it as a default as twenty hours a week, and I was like, that needs to be like those are rookie numbers. That needs to be sixteen hours a day. Mm-hmm. Well, they hey, talked about. He wasn't maybe. joking. I mean, I mean, this is you know, yeah. you know, this is the thing, right? He was not joking about that. I mean, he you know, yeah. he was basically saying it needs to be more open to being shot. Be, you know, getting yeah. that happening. I mean, certainly the initial like reinforcements, like the the first bit where the attacker goes, "Hey, you know what? We want to go and screw with those guys, so we're going to go over there. They should be able to go in, hit it, come out, and then defender gets the time that they need to." Then you hit it. Whether you have a third one or not is debatable, but certainly the the initial attack should always be on the onus of the attacker, and then the the secondary defense should always be on the defender. As far as I'm concerned, on these things, you have to give the attacker the prerogative. Exactly, and because if they don't have the prerogative, if they look at a timer and sit there and go, 
that's at three o'clock in the morning for me, or that's on this time for me, or it's in the middle of a week and I'm going to have to take a day off to organize this. They're not going to do it. Whereas if they log in and go, hey, who can do? Oh, we're going to go screw with these guys. Let's go screw with them and reinforce that structure and go, okay, we need to be back on this day. Cool, fine. But at least they control the initial engagement. And that's the important thing. Well, they, they did talk about it being, uh, I think CCP Fozzy suggested, what if the first timer didn't have a, any vulnerability? Like we, it could always be attacked. So maybe they're well, for me, that would be ideal. Yeah, I, totally I think we agree. all wanted that. Yeah, and I, you know, you know CC Pufazi says here, he then asked the CSM how they felt about a hybrid system based on the POCO. Um, and, and I think a lot of people have actually, you know, kind of gotten behind that, you know, similar to the POCO idea. That's player-owned custom office, and that's something that hovers around a planet and has a different kind of, uh, re- different kind of defense system than everything else, I guess. Yeah, yeah to... you, can shoot it at, at, you, you can shoot it initially at any time, and then it starts kicking into its timers phase. Apple Pay. Yeah, what, what you do is you set, uh, when you deploy a poker, you set a timer between uh, a two hour timer. When you want the poker to come out of reinforce, you can say between uh, one and two eve, one eve and three eve, etc. You set a timer. It can be shot anytime, but you decide when it comes out so you can defend it at that time. There's also something on the notes that says um, there are a large number of design assumptions based on structures not always being vulnerable, such as defenses not being automated. Yeah, like that was a conversation. It's just that the original design documents and like kind of thoughts around citadels, you know, were based around the fact that the vulnerability time would be small. So it's going to take. They they believe it takes more work to make it uh, work with the current mechanics. I disagree, and I think they could solve a lot of these problems by literally just saying citadels are already always vulnerable now. You know, or maybe you just have an invulnerability period of like eight hours you can put it in a day and just the other 16 hours it's completely vulnerable i you know i don't like the way it is right now and i think it's actively harming the game yeah there's something else you brought so we're going to skip a little bit over to uh no second sovereignty you also brought up in a strong way that uh, entosis isn't, isn't healthy for the game it's not promoting healthy habits for people and you would like to once see again it. I, will, I will quote myself yeah uh Entosis is a fundamentally broken mechanic that will never work within the concept of EVE Online due to the fact that it forces gameplay which is not seen anywhere else and is, for a good reason, not seen anywhere else. It reduces combat and the ability to hold grid from you holding, you know, overall combat superiority in an area to you being able to, to, you being able to kill, uh, you know, two or three specific points of failure. You are not encouraged to destroy your opponent's ability to fight. You're encouraged to destroy your opponent's ability to keep one or two people alive. All right. And that means that you have to generate gameplay. Your, your mic is kind of, uh, you're, you're, you're digitaling out. Um, but uh, I, think, I think it's okay. We understood it. Um, and what was interesting about that was you said that, but also that CCP kind of agreed. They're like, yeah. And it kind of seemed like they, they were in, insinuating that they might phase out entosis down the road. I don't even think it's an insinuation. I think it's an absolute guaranteed thing that's going to eventually happen. The question is the timing of that, right? Everybody is saying, please make the timing now so we can get back to something that, up. that isn't this, right? Um, you know, uh, you know but, but CCP Larrikin, you know, also said after that point, and this is from the minutes, uh, CCP Larrikin proposed allowing ships in Tosasing to be able to receive remote assistance. Um, yes, please. But with, but with, you know, like a 50% remote repair impotence. Uh, and the, G- the, the CSM generally agreed it would be better. Um, I, I think a lot of people think that, you know, yeah, 
let there be let there be some sort of remote. I mean, otherwise you just you just get what we have now, and it's just but whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if they're eventually going to do away with Intosis, then maybe that doesn't even matter right now. And do we really want them spending time on it? But eventually, yeah, they're. We we in the summit we kept laughing and uh, at the phrase of near future, uh, which is like six months to three years. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So yeah, in in the near future, maybe they'll they'll get around to fixing intosis. Well, again, you know, I want to go back to that. You know, what is your gut feeling? Because um, um, Seagull's last missive to everyone, and I understand that I believe she's out on leave at the moment, but um, was basically. We hear you. We're going to move up our timetable in addressing some of these things. You know, we were going to wait until all the structures were complete. Do do we think that that is being moved up? I mean, should we expect something in in a legitimate near term? I don't necessarily mean by year end, but six as months. I, as but I put in my summary, I don't think we're going to see anything in the next six months that will address these like choking concerns of the game, and that's why I came away from being so disappointed. Hmm. We'll come back to Nelsec uh, in, in a few minutes. Uh, let's get back to community, which is another thing that came up. And I thought that a few things came out. And I can just read through these really quick. And you guys can comment if you want to. Um, we did talk already that people perceive that nothing's happening and that FanFest was underwhelming. And uh, we actually had a show on kind of FanFest and how it did seem a little bit underwhelming because there was no new material. It was all review of the year before. And that's a oh. change from before used to be kind of a big hype fest where they show you a brand new beautiful trailer they'd buy they'd buy, get some buy-in on this vision where they were going and it it just like gave you you were super hyped up for weeks after fan fest and this time it's kind of the opposite where you're like yeah i heard all that stuff they did confirm some new things and uh all right back to the game you know there wasn't so that. i think it's intentional i don't think it's like uh just you know happenstance that you know it's underwhelming like i think they're focusing more on like celebrating the players and like a actual like you know like community party kind of thing rather than like uh tying the dev cycle uh to fan fest and when the releases i mean this past fan fest we had a bunch of release information come out like what two weeks uh before fan fest and it, it allowed them to talk to the players at fan fest about what they thought so it kind of felt like a review because we had the information it wasn't given to us like you know on thursday or friday or saturday but we actually had it before fan fest and we could you know talk about it at fan fest with devs Right, you're not just talking about the hype, you're talking about the details, like you've actually had some time to process it and be able to discuss it with them, as opposed to just seeing something on a screen, the whole audience cheers, but nobody really understands kind of... <laughs> yeah, they're just... Which, which from a, like, a, a design point of view, like from somebody that's sitting there having designed these sort of things and wanting to unveil these things and have meaningful conversations, which, let, let's... Let's be honest, like FanFest, for developers getting FaceTime with their, their most ardent players is top-notch. There's no other place really other than Vegas and Eve Down Under where they get a chance to really, really do that. And for, for a developer point of view, that's great. From a marketing point of view, it's awful. Like, it, I, I consider it like absolutely terrible because I, I go last year I went to FanFest. I knew exactly what they were going to do. I was like, okay, new things. Let's see what we've got. Blood Raid Soyotos. And that's literally the new thing I walked away from from FanFest. If you went to some of the side stuff, then there were like little tidbits and things here and there, which were pretty cool as well. But that's only if you went to the side stuff. And yeah. 
I think from from a developer point of view, brilliant. It's great because it really does give the developers that point to do that. But I think from a marketing and a hype point of view, it just falls flat on its face every single time. Yeah. yeah, if I were going to FanFest, I'm coming for Christmas. I'm not coming to be part of a focus group. Like I would, you know, run for CSM if I wanted to do that. I'm coming to like be among the people that are celebrating this game that I am so totally celebrating, and I want new stuff. Uh, so I'm, I, if I'm going to pay all that money to go visit that, I want to meet the developers. I want Christmas presents and I want to have a great time. So it's, it, I guess that's, uh, it, it's important to them though, in order to produce a better game to ha- take that opportunity to take in, um, what you guys are, you know, what the audience is actually, um, thinking. And, and that's I mean, interesting because the dev cycle is no longer tied to those meetups, Vegas or FanFest, which is interesting. That that being said, right? I mean, you know, you know, for stuff that is coming in the near term, it is better that they release the information um, um, kind of before, which allows people to talk intelligently about it when they get there, right? Um, on the other hand, there there probably does need to be something, you know, whether you you know whether you're watching these things remotely or you're going to them, um, that 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 gives you a bit of hype about something that's out in a you know in a little bit for, you know further distance, right? And that's where that whole roadmap thing comes in. Mm-hmm. They've you know they've got to be able to give that kind of longer term hype without overhyping it, and we end up in a you know incarnate situation or you know player built stargates from three years ago or whatever. Yeah. And by the way, Arenda says uh, no, nobody goes to Iceland for pea shark, which is kind of funny because I guess they have really exotic food in Iceland. <laughs> well, if, if you mean exotic by goat and fermented shark, then yeah. <laughs> it's, not for, it's not exotic to Vikings. They've, they've always eaten that, I guess. If, anybody okay. invite, if any of your fellow capsuleers invite you to try the Hakarl, it's a trap. Oh my God. <laughs> Turn back. All right. Uh, a couple other things from the community uh, that was interesting was that uh, the, the new forums are doing about the same as the old forums we're doing. Uh, we'll see if that actually gets better over time since it's a different technology. It'd be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, the return of Scope Network is something they want to push. And the 07 show may be finished or changing uh, because they have a new idea of maybe exploring what they're doing now, which Tiberius, you want to tell us what they're doing instead of the 07 show? Um, well, they're still going to do the, uh, the 07 show, but they, uh, as I understand it from the notes, and the, the CSM guys can probably correct me wrong on this, uh, on this one, but it's going to be broken down. It's going to become a less rigid. Like, there are, there are moments where the 07 show is produced, and there may be nothing to talk about because there's no real development news. Um, so it's going to become more individual sections. It's going to be smaller bite-sized chunks, and I need to get out of uh, this site before this nuke comes and sacks me. Um, and as I understand it, it's just going to focus on smaller individual things and make it a bit more flexible as a whole. Uh, it's not going away as such, and more promotion on uh, regular streaming as opposed to a more rigid structure. Right. Uh, and in the audience, Arendis is disagreeing that the new uh, discourse implementation of forums is not better than the old ones. And so uh, he says a lot of people have left because of that. Um, Okay, so that's the, the new thing with streaming. They're going to turn it into kind of more of a channel rather than a show uh, and allow other people to come and stream. So it'll be interesting to see if that experiment works to give them a little more participation, but at the same time, uh, create more ongoing content for uh, EVE Online to keep it in people's imaginations. Uh, wormholes was something that was discussed primarily by Newman, our guest. And one of the things I wanted to ask was, what's the drone mystery about? 
the drone mystery? You're talking yeah, about oh, the, the drone damage tip. Yeah. Anything. Oh, okay. The the drone bug that everybody's so unhappy about. Basically, um, at, after one release, uh, it was a noticeable change of how uh, the sleeper AI um, aggressed uh, drones, and it was like people were using rattlesnakes with geckos and. Um, the sleepers would change to the geckos so rapidly, then web them down and keep them, you know, you couldn't really pull them back fast enough and you were losing your geckos like really, really quickly compared to like the day before the patch, it was, you know, not as bad. So it was a big, big change and noticeable change of the aggression of sleepers basically towards drones. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. All right. So what's going on in wormholes? What did you guys talk about? Um, basically everything that I, I've said for the past couple summits, uh, you know, I, I don't beg CCP to, you know, produce these kind of things that I want or the community wants, you know, next month or whatever. It's just like when they do get around to, you know, finally saying, Hey, we're going to do some stuff for wormholers directly. Like maybe they can go back through the uh, summits and through the recordings and stuff like that and have like, um, you know, something to start from. But uh, basically, uh, I I just went over my wormhole town hall. Um, I, every summit, basically, I have a town hall two weeks beforehand. And while I'm at the summit, I just re-listen to the town hall, take notes, and basically, you know, uh, say exactly what came out of the town hall straight to the devs. Uh, good representative. Now, uh, you know, one of the things that got brought up in there, it really was kind of only a, a, a one line in the middle of, I don't, I'm not even sure it went with the previous stuff. To, to some extent, but uh, CCP Fozzie added that Tech 3 modules are inevitable at some point in the far future. Um, but, you know, and there's it's, that it's word, worth, right? It's far worth future. noting that this is actually just a, like a, a rhetorical technique that um, Fozzie uses a lot where he says, given that CCP lasts for an infinite amount of time, I think it's inevitable that we'll do this. Yeah. He, this is like, <laughs> this is, that's actually a thing that he used, I think, at least four or five times. It's just a way of him saying, that's design space we will eventually look at, but we're not looking at it right now. That's like saying that mass has gravity. Eventually, two things will come together, but the planets will probably stay apart for a while longer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually, That's theoretically, so they should come together. Um, yeah, like, like a, a TLDR of the wormhole stuff is like, uh, basically, we have a problem with Astral's farming uh, drifters. Uh, we'd like more scrams in the sites to uh, give a little bit more risk to MJD battleships. Um, we'd like uh, the site lifetime to be looked at, um, so sites don't stack up in unused wormholes. They'd be a little bit better distributed. Um, we basically talked about uh, the medical clone issue that got fixed. Uh, but uh, people that have medical clones need to be like retroactively kicked out of the uh, wormholes, uh, citadels, and stuff like that. But yeah, and so then of course moon mining. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, they know want we want it. moon mining in wormholes. They kind of said they are thinking about something scaled down for you guys, right? Yeah, I mean we don't want the the same rewards and the same uh, resources that nullsec and lowsec get. We just want the activity, right? Like, we want to have the scheduled mining op thing. It, it would give corpse, you know, income and stuff like that. That'd be a great bonus for um, wormhole groups, I think. Yeah. But what about these resource war instances? They're not going to be in wormholes, I don't believe. Right. It's all for high sec or empire space. But... Yeah, we'll give you those before we give you moons. Yeah, but I was wondering, like, if that would be 
if that'll if that'll uh, sate you guys or not. Well, the, the thing about um, uh, the thing about it is, I always thought that moons moons uh, had minerals in wormhole space. Uh, I don't think you can turn on the moon mining laser. Oh, so if they have it, you can't mine it. Yeah, and they do the same thing with super capitals. Theoretically, you can build them in that space, or sorry, you can uh, move the materials into that space to build them, but they're not buildable because you don't have sovereignty. Right, no uh, outpost, or, or uh, what is it called? Not outpost. Um, you need the, I have you need the iHub with the upgrade. Yeah. Right, because you need to claim that territory as your own, and you can't do that with wormhole space. So in, in a couple of ways, they lock you out with a mechanic, but they don't actually say, you can't do this. They just say, it's you know eventually you find out it's not possible through some mm -hmm. weird mechanic. Interesting. All right. So thanks for that update on wormhole space. Um, when I looked at that section, it was like, Noobman says, Noobman says, Noobman says. Uh, I mean, you can ask Jintan. It's, it's one of the only meetings in like the three summits we've had uh, that, you know, I... I basically come with a list and I, I get through the list and I, you know, I'm like, Hey, I need, I need to keep going. I need to keep going. Like, let me get through we my list. We basically stay out of new man's way and new man plows his way through what? everything that he has to say. Are you coming to E Vegas? Uh, unfortunately my sister, well, I shouldn't say, unfortunately, my sister's getting married the same exact weekend. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's unfortunately part. <laughs> I think, I think that was a Freudian slip. Bring your sister to Vegas. Unfortunately, it's on the same weekend. My sister's name is Cersei. Yeah. Um, wow. Don't let in there any steps. All right. Two steps too far. <laughs> um, backing up. Uh, yeah, but uh, it, it, it's too bad because I wanted to say that uh, Newman is a, a big guy. He's a huge presence, right? You know, he's as big as Dirk and I, but I'm he's... Not, yeah, 6'4", well, 300. Is he fat-shaming, Matt Roll? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's muscular. He's not... No, I meant his height. He's a huge guy. All right. Um, moving away from wormholes, let's talk about UX real quick. Uh, standing changes. Um, this is something that I got some experience with over the week, and that is the new standing changes because they, they fix the UI. It really uh, helps a lot because you can see what your progress is in a few ways. You can see how many missions are helping you in a graphical way. Um, but also, you can see how many pretty much missions you need to do before you get to the next level agent, which I thought was pretty interesting. So kudos to CCP for making that a little more engageable uh, as you run missions. And there's something else that I don't know. I never saw this in a feature um, release, but if you take a mission from um, an agent, you go and you do the mission. When you come back, uh, actually, when you complete the mission, you can, you can uh, select you know, complete mission and the mission's completed and you get the rewards. You're not, you don't have to be back in the station. But when you get back to the station, it's already requested you to do another mission and assume that you're going to say yes. So you just hit accept. You don't have to request then accept. And I just thought that was like so simple a fix and so effective a result because that means you can kind of just cycle through the missions without having to hit a bunch of stuff or forget to put stuff in your cargo. And they also now have a cargo warning. So if you don't have the thing you're supposed to deliver in a distribution mission in your cargo, it'll say before you undock, hey, you can't, uh, you can't take off. You don't have the stuff you need. And I think that's a real time saver. Because it used to be... I thought that has been for a couple of years now. Well, I, I, was, just about, I was just about to say that May is uh, not done missions for a very, very long time. <laughs> it's, been a, it's a lot of dust that I had to kick off the boots uh, to do these missions. But a lot of neat little changes for NPE that I didn't know existed from 2010, when I was probably doing them last. 
But anyway, good stuff there. Yeah. And I damsel. I no, I, I refuse to do that mission because uh, I'm not about murder. Um, what's a hundred percent car? Uh, sorry, hundred million cargo alert warning, Jintan. You brought that up. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's actually a bigger thing. I actually had a an edit to that sentence, which got removed before we uh, put it out because it was supposed. They felt it was kind of a bit a bit too editorializing. Me, uh, sorry, me editorializing a bit too much. But what I said in the meeting was that I wanted. I wanted there to be a warning to help new players understand that you can be ganked in high tech. You know, you're carrying a hundred million. You're probably carrying all your stuff in like a T1 industrial. You're just going to get wrecked by like one thrasher. And I wanted to make it clear to CCP that I thought that there was a kind of a a drive to nerf ganking uh, mechanically in order to um, stop new players from getting that bad experience and quitting the game as a result of that. When realistically the problem from that is not at all mechanics it doesn't matter if it's you know if it takes two thrashes or one thrasher to kill a t1 industrial the real thing that new players need to be able to deal with ganking to be able to deal with dangers of high sec is they need information they need ccp to say hey look here's some issues here's here's what ganking is here's how it works you know i i also brought up the concept of having a bad guy tutorial which is something i've i've pushed for a bad guy tutorial? I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like so it. Something, something I, this is something I pitched during our first meeting with Genesis, and I believe it got redacted, and we never had that mission put out, uh, sorry, those minutes put out. I wanted high-sec players, I wanted one of their missions as part of Inception to be you go and you gank a NPC hauler, and you get killed by Concord. Hmm. So that, that kind of just, like, that teaches you, hey, you can kill people in high-sec, that is a thing that you can do, but this is the response of it. This is how it works. But it teaches that from the fun angle of, I get to kill someone, and the cops kill me. Ha ha, fuck the police. That's awesome. Like, isn't that so easy? I want that to be, I want every player to experience that, because it sounds so cool. It should be it's said, so you're amazing. The you're the one that has the mask that you loaned Eris so he could disguise himself, right? So I, I have a feeling you have a spray cans a backpack you have a mask to disguise your face from all the facial recognition <laughs> stuff that's out in london yeah. anyway um so it totally suits your your personality i'll tell you what actually funny enough thinking that i i had no appreciation to actually how fun ganking was until i actually tried it out myself um and so i like the idea completely resonates with my own experience it's like I was like, oh, I feel like gankers, how could they do this? Oh, I'm ganking someone. Hey, this is fun. <laughs> Let's do yeah, this some you, more. You guys are like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know I would like the vampire lifestyle until I tasted blood. Yeah, oh, exactly. Like, I said ganking is so much fun. I have not for nothing. And all the for mini love there is getting very close to real minus 10. So that's a goal for me. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Wolf Glenn struck again while we weren't looking. Thank you, Wolf Glenn, for a generous contribution. And... Uh, Thanks, Newman, for subscribing. He reminded me that I could subscribe too, so I did. Um, thanks, guys, that are putting in that kind of stuff for the show. All right. Let's move on to the next thing, which is the oops, uh, balance. We want to talk about balance. And, well, actually, let's just go through some of the stuff that was kind of fun, because at this point, there was a lot of like ideas thrown at CS. Uh, CSM was throwing a lot of ideas at CCP. So there's, a, like, Aerith brought up a hairdryer module where you can basically burn a different ship uh well you can apply heat damage you can apply heat damage which means what to their modules yep. mm -hmm. okay 
which kind of is interesting because if you apply too much heat damage to a module, you burn that module out and make it useless. So it'd be like attacking modules instead of attacking a ship. He calls uh, it a hairdryer. That's funny. That's well, hilarious. But, right? but CCP replied that a similar idea had emerged in the past, but they haven't found a way to make it work that felt good for everyone involved. Now, I, I assume they mean like felt good for <laughs> like the developers or, or, or something like that, right? Felt visceral. Yeah, uh, yeah. as opposed to it felt good <laughs> for the players involved <laughs> yeah well it doesn't feel uh, good when all my modules get burned out another visceral uh, idea was a berserker ship where you can do more damage but you are susceptible to getting damaged faster which was kind of interesting isn't well, that polarized, isn't, but isn't weapons? That polarized weapons yeah isn't that not polarized uh, weapons? Or, or another way would be the lower your health is the more damage you deal or the faster you attack or something that's the way i read it Oh, the, way I, the way I read it was you're taking a lot of damage and therefore you're kind of dishing out you know some extra damage on your way down sort of thing. Now, now one of the things that I think it said in there was something about they were afraid of how it could be uh, how it could be gamed or something like that. And I, I was too dumb to understand how it could have been gamed. But uh, I mean, well, gankers will just love it because they'll be able to turbocharge all their ganking ships straight off the bat. Basically, that yeah, your friend can shoot you down to low health, and then you you start the the battle at this high dps it's like you hype each other up ah, pounding each other's shoulders and then you jump in and <laughs> terror it's like football rituals uh and it's funny because this is this why is, we can't have nice things in eve this is a game this is a game made by vikings and there's no berserker ship it makes sense to me uh and then newman brought up a sleeper line of sleeper modules yeah so i'd like to read straight out of the notes uh basically ccp rise it said uh he asked the csm if they had any ideas for new ships or modules things that would make cool additions to the current ecosystem and it says new man brought up an idea of having a complete line of sleeper meta modules uh as well as like a like sleeper holes as well that could you know and ozzy said you know, they could have the idea of um, basically changing what the ship does or what the modules do in different wormhole effects and stuff like that. I mean, that doesn't have to be attached to that. That doesn't have to be the gimmick of it. But basically, you know, Rise says in the notes, like, this is exactly the type of idea that they were looking for. And that was one of my favorite things of the entire summit was uh, the possibility of, you know, a new line of, you know, wormhole, you know, stuff that comes from wormholes. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how that could actually mutate into something that's different. It reminds me of the effects generators on Titans, although that doesn't get used as much as you might think. It has. Uh, I've seen it used, and C used it a couple times, and it did save some lives um, by augment by changing the nature of the way damage is done in that system through the use of a Titan booster. Uh, mm -hmm. So I have seen it work, but yeah, I haven't seen it widespread. And certainly, people don't rec people don't require it as part of your training as a Titan pilot in in NC at least. Uh, beta modules is something that Gentile brought up. What was that? Oh, beta modules is kind of like it's an idea that I absolutely love. Um, it's something that seems to be kind of tossed around internally. Something that we heard on the grapevine that is um, the intent to kind of have uh modules appear in the game kind of like you remember inferno we had all these new modules added to the game in like one big chunk those modules took a shitload of time to develop and some of them kind of didn't work out well you know like the tsbs and what they want to do is maybe at some point have a shorter kind of cycle uh, of developing modules and then put them in the game for a limited amount of time like six weeks two months that sort of range and then let people play around with them and then at the end of it all just nuke them from the game, turn them to scrap metal, or turn them into tokens that you can give back in and get money, and use that to kind of 
test out new effects in the game, see how they would affect the meta, and have that make Eve a bit feel a bit more alive in terms of modules. And bits. Oh. So and you beta, can do a whole thing around it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Sorry, I know, like we brought up the we brought up the idea of like different ammos as well. That's actually where we got into the whole damage change because we talked about the uh, uh, there's there's actually T two uh, ammo that's unpublished for every single race. We thought you know maybe we could bring that in for a couple of days or something like that. So when you said beta modules, you weren't saying second rate modules. You were saying modules that aren't ready for prime time, so you could use it as a testing. Yeah, like, limited time yeah. modules. Limited yeah. time because modules. limited be time, but, but the, the module itself didn't have a limited time. It was a limited time those modules could exist in the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then they all go away. Okay, yes. and that brings on a really interesting thing because you can put these modules and you can put all these things on the test server and you can theory craft them as craft them as a developer uh, on paper as much as you like. But until you actually give them to players to mess around with, you don't actually really know what people are going to do with them. And yeah. that would essentially solve that entire problem. And to get a little bit of a reward of, hey, you have these modules left over, you can buy them back or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, you can do it with the other things. Like you could say have uh, something that we talked about was like, you know, uh, not that we talked about, something that Bryce brought up as a, like an example of something that they could potentially try would be like, hey, what if we had, I don't know, project, what if we had a T2 autocannon ammo that could do cap damage? You know, maybe that would help uh, make autocannons better for mediums. You know, we could even make it medium only. Stuff like that. Like, you can do anything you want. And they don't really have to worry about the long-term consequences, just the short-term consequences. It would switch up the meta too, right? It would, you know, instead of being Ishtar's online, Tengu's online, Mercurial's online, like, you know, for these two months, a module for this ship, you know, that's good on these, you know, this race, like, makes this ship really good. But it's not screwing over all the people that have trained to get into that ship, you know. But it would be able to shake up the meta. So what were the arguments? You know, I gotta go buy a two-month doctrine. <laughs> That's true. You know what? Yeah. Put them, put them into that. the agencies. Put them in with the agency rewards. Like you're doing stuff yeah, yeah. for a particular, doing stuff for a particular like corporation within Eve that's developing a brand new module, and your reward is this brand new module that may or may not make it into a game, but it's going to be a limited run thing, and. You know, if they introduce it fully, they introduce it fully. If they don't, they don't. Yeah, like they, that just means they've got a lot of data that they can go back, they can work with. And if it, if they feel that the gameplay it encouraged was good, they can spend that one month again. They'll make it good. They'll make it perfect. They'll balance it out, and then they'll really introduce it. And it just yep. gives it gives CCP more of a way to do stuff. And you know, that's all we've been talking about. All we've been talking about for a long time is how can we make CCP balance the game faster. How can we get more content out quicker? How can we keep people invested in the game? How can we evolve it? And this is something that I thought had so much promise in that. Well, we'll see if it, uh, if it happens. That sounds interesting. What were some of the arguments against it, by the way? I didn't think we really had any apart from that people might be pissed if they like get the module and then it disappears. From- oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, one of the other things that Jintan brought up there, um, and, and I'd really like to get him to kind of flesh this out just a little bit. Jintan asked whether it would be possible to add ammo that allows more weapons to select their damage types. CCP replied that, they're, that they aren't strongly in favor of doing so as it removes the decisions inherent with the weapon choice. What were you looking for? You're not looking for lasers to do kinetic damage, are you? Explosive damage, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I don't know if you know this, but this actually exists in the game right now. Is There is a crystal called Blaze that you can put in. It's unpublished, but it does exist. 
and it yep, seen it in database. Yeah. And what it will do is it will turn like some percentage of your EM thermal damage into explosive damage, and it basically stops lasers from being EM therm locked. But it also comes at the penalty of it being mid range ammo only, and you know, so you don't get the range of scorch. It's also uh, got a significant damage penalty compared to regular crystals, like twenty to thirty percent EPS reduction. And I think that's something that the game can do with, because I think right now there's a huge problem where if you're a smaller entity, you have to have either a doctrine that has uh, selectable damage, or you have to have multiple doctrines that you can reship into immediately. I don't think it's fair to only punish like Amar and Galante when you don't punish um, Kaldari and Bimbasar in the same way. Uh, especially, I know the reason why that was originally put in the game is because hybrids and EM, um, uh, sorry, lasers were made deliberately stronger and deliberately more powerful to counteract that. The problem was that that doesn't work long, long scale in the game. But I think damage locks are getting to the point where just because Intel has gotten so good, because people understand now how to counter it, I think damage locking is becoming um, an impotence for the game to mm. uh, Speaking like, of when you have to have three doctrines to be able to counter it. Speaking of impotence, your mic is dying out. Uh, Fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. It's actually, you're digitizing. It's all right. Um, this is something I wanted to pick up because we have Dirk here, but they actually discussed ghost training and, and how much, uh, say, damage it did to the game and all that kind of stuff. And then they actually said something when they were asked, I think by Jintai, what actually happened? Why didn't you guys get on top of this as an exploit before it you know, got to as bad as it did? Because the community of players actually got kind of upset that it was taking so long for them to put the brakes on it or to say, don't do this or you will be punished to the other players. Uh, and they basically said um, the pre-9-11 FBI CIA thing where like everybody had a piece of the puzzle, but we didn't communicate with each other. And that's what, you know caused us not to be able to say, this is an actual problem, let's get on top of it. Uh, but as far as damage, how much damage did Ghost Training do? It, it didn't really say in the minutes. Um, it didn't really quantify it like that. I think what they found was that, look, there were quite a few, pe quite a few people that fell within the, their net, right? Um, but 90% of those did not appear to be intentionally Ghost Training and exploiting it, right? The other ten percent were apparently there were you know there were some rather large ones as well but but about about ninety percent of them didn't appear to be doing it intentionally for exploitation purposes anyways yeah and they gave people an option too they they made this public they said you know you can either we'll hand you extractors you can extract all this SP that we have deemed that you've ghost trained and you've exploited or you can pay us the is value of it. Or if you've already spent all the ISK and you have assets now, you can give us those assets uh, to pay, you know, for your exploit, exploitive behavior. I mean, I think, you know, there was, there was actually, GM Lelouch did a, it looks like did a really good job in here explaining to you guys what was going on. At least, at least the, the minutes seem to be fairly, you know, comprehensive uh, in this customer service section uh, related to ghost training. But, you know, one of the things, Jin Tan asked if CCP saw an increase in ghost training after the exploit announcement, to which GM Lelouch replied that they actually saw the opposite, where many of those that were ghost training logged in immediately and stopped training on all their characters. Friggin' shocker that when you declare something an exploit that the people <laughs> who are doing it are all of a sudden going to stop as opposed to one of the other theories of well we don't really want to you know declare something an exploit because then or we don't want to mention this because then people might go out and do it no then if, if you come out and you say that something is an exploit 
people are not going to then turn around and start doing it. They're going to turn around and stop doing it, which is why and I essentially the people and the people and the people that do keep doing it are basically asking for it. Really, <laughs> didn't they know? Didn't they? Didn't they set a deadline too, saying if you do it past a certain point, and that's why people? No, it was it, it was from the date that the error occurred. That's how far oh. back they went. Oh, okay, oh, so it, it was retroactive. Okay. Yep. Uh, and there's a question for Caleb uh, there. The guy that had 400 hours or 400 days or however, 400 accounts 400 of characters. Characters. 400 characters. Oh, wow. Caleb, did you know that guy? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So uh, so we actually know the guy that was... Uh, if, uh, uh, several that had 100 and 200 or in that realm, so it was not that unique. Yeah. Was the, there, the thing was is there... that it was mostly farms for SP farming. And then by mistake, also to some, maybe some intentionally let them lapse and, and ended up ghost training. I'm sure that most of them were not actually intending it. Right. And, and it was interesting to see somebody in that position, because I kind of heard third party, that uh, kind of how it, it affected them. And it was really interesting that they were kind of stuck. You know, how do I, how do I, they weren't trying to do anything wrong, but they have so many characters that it would take them hours and hours of their real life time to fix it with, with CCP. So they, I think they said something like, uh, he said, can I just pay you a bunch of money, you know, instead of having to go and, you know, physically fix 400 accounts and that's that kind of thing. I think it was those scales that actually made CCP consider that there was more than just one option of uh, compensation when someone was in the wrong because they realized that if you are managing that many, it's very easy to just buy mishap or because you don't really want to farm uh, your zombies anymore to just leave them. And then it's actually not intending to, to ghost train. You're not doing it deliberately. So uh, when they then get caught and actually want to make amends, then they need to have different avenues to actually compensate uh, for the exploit. Yeah, I thought that was a very real-world problem. It's nice that CCP like didn't just flat ban everybody. I mean, they, I, I think they said they banned like some extreme, extreme cases, but like they gave this other option to so many people rather than just saying, you know, you know, these hundreds of accounts, you're all banned, and everything you have is taken away from you. There was a lot of talk of uh, abusing it uh, in the form of uh, short-selling things that are about to tank. Well, it was interesting to see how uh, CCP was willing to work with the guy, uh, that guy. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, just like Newman says, they didn't go after. And this is, I mean, Aerith was saying, you got to ban the top, you know, 20 offenders, like no questions asked. And he was very draconian about it. But CCP didn't take that advice. They said, we'll work with people that get them out of this, this position they're in. So that was also, because legally, well, of course, everything is up to CCP when it comes down to it but legally really you have to prove uh that it's intended right you need to prove malfeasance yeah well not technically but you're right it would in the eyes of justice it's good to show somebody's guilty before you punish them but ccp can basically say we don't like you we're going to take strike you exactly they, they can do whatever they want yeah okay so the coolest thing that came out we're going to go a little long for people who were uh wondering um the session finder is something that I hadn't heard about or hasn't been announced until it was in these minutes, right? Yeah, this is the first public hearing about it, as far as I know. And this is really cool. Uh, what is the session finder? Basically a way to find content. Um, it's like a, a way to bring a lot of the stuff that isn't in the client right now or isn't easily accessible within the client into the client. You know, right now, for example, if you go and look on 
the in-game map. You can't see where the nearest asteroid belt is. You can't see what anomalies are in your system directly uh, unless you understand how to do that. You can't see where the nearest agents are. Uh, and the session finder is hopefully going to put all that in the forefront as well as I think we talked about some other things like, hey, we want, we want ice belts to be put in here. We'd really like it if they could show uh, what ores are in specific systems as well because that's something that's actually not available within the client. Like, as you might know, uh, only Veldspar spawns in 1.0, and then 0.9 to 0.7, you have something different, and then 0.6, you have a different mix. And it'd be yeah. really good if they could have that shown in the client rather than... Th that information is in, it's usually on the web, but it's not in the game. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's, there's always been this push from the CSM to put more things in client for new players, and this, is, this just goes into it into the nth degree. And, you know, I'd love to see resource wars put into this, obviously, along with other things. Well, there was the other things that were mentioned, as you were just alluding to, is agents, moving the agents, uh, where you find agents into there. Um, but also the map itself. And uh, basically, it would become your, uh, really your Neocom, right? That would show you what's out there in the world right now. What can you get involved with right now? And I just think that's a pretty brilliant uh, and kind of a no-brainer, right? Somebody gets into the yeah. game... I mean, you, you look at every other game out there, like any, pretty much any open-world-style game, and there's a map in there that says, hey, there's this thing that you can go and do here, and there's this thing that you can go and do there, and there's this thing that you can do over in this bit as well. And it's always <laughs> it's always amazed me that it's always been so difficult to find that in EVE. Um, so I was really pleased to sort of see those passages as well where that discussion was going on. I'm not entirely sure I would want cosmic anomalies to be in this session finder why not because uh, that's basically a uh, part of exploration uh trying to go out and look for these things uh i joined i started playing eve online during the middle of apocrypha expansion i joined around september 2009 uh so we were halfway through apocrypha at that time and originally to find cosmic anomalies you did have to uh, run at least one probe scan to find them. I mean, I'm, I don't have any objection to the current system of you can see all cosmic anomalies in the solar system and warp to them immediately, but you do have to be in the solar system. Yeah, I think that's so, the way it's currently set up, isn't it? Right. as an FYI. And we didn't say go and okay, add good. it. Like yeah, because because the cosmic signatures are ones you need to scan, but the anomalies themselves, which is the ones that just spawn naturally in the system, saying like Dolsec or something like that, are just like things that spawn because of the security rating of the system. But the signatures are something completely different. Well, we don't we don't have cosmic anomalies or uh, or signatures, as far as I know. Okay, um, the system you're in, because that that would be really gross tips. Like you would actually be able to track what ratting people are doing in the next door system. Yeah, totally. Having any New way to interact with that or no? Newman and then I'm sorry to step on you, Newman then Carneros. Oh, I was just agreeing. Nothing, nothing extra. All right, done. Noted. On the All subject right. of the session finder, uh, I just want to I want to say that um, that's a really good practice. In a, uh, putting on for a moment my game dev hat, uh, there are. Uh, there, it's it's sad when you make something really cool in a game and players can't find it to try it and experience it, and you want to put it out in front of them, and and it makes a game stickier and it makes people uh, stay longer and play longer if they get in, find options to do, and then want to go through and just work their way down through it. 
You see it in other games. It'll sometimes come in the form of a, a pop-up window or a window that's displayed when you first log in that says, oh, here are suggestions for today. Uh, this, uh, this session finder sounds slightly more Eve-like than that, a little bit less uh, World of Warcraft which is probably good. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing the UI on uh, on how they achieve it because that's going to be really, really key to its success. Yeah. Um, so inside of Twitch chat, uh, there's a comment by Arendis there. Um, can, you, can you read that, Seamus? Do you see it? Uh, from the Twitch chat? Yes, I see it. I'm reading it now. Out loud? <laughs> oh, uh, Arendis says to David Madrell, but given how cluttered and incredibly overstuffed uh, with garbage the user interface generally is already is there really room for another big chunk of real estate being eaten up by information overload they can't deliver the information they deliver now in a clean and intuitive way how are they going to add everything else that's a good point i mean we're gonna have to see like i can't really comment on the layout of it or anything like that so just like i'd say wait until you see some screenshots and things like that it is the nature of user interface design that you have to keep updating it. Uh, I'll, I'll point out the example of the updated Eve online forums. Uh, you mm -hmm. have it's a it was perfectly working before, uh, but they've improved it uh, and and made it you know more visible and accessible. And they're doing that in game as they can. It's hard when you have to add additional information to display in a limited area, but uh, that it's going to be a challenge going forward and CCP needs to keep some good UI designers on full-time staff. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and we did get a comment uh, from Zandril that, uh, Seamus, you have a beautiful voice. I couldn't agree more. I want you to read everything, including the introduction for the show as it comes on. <laughs> <laughs> You're like couldn't, a book on tape. they also get rather far if they opened up for more customization, like other games have done? You mean modding? Yeah, something like that or similar to that. Something maybe API-based or... Half pandemic legion. Half. I, I will say that <laughs> uh, CCP is very scared of that and does not really want people to be, be able to fuck around with the UI too much. I don't know if MMOs have mods, do they? It seems they like World of Warcraft they do. Or Warcraft Final Fantasy. They do. Oh, my bad. All yeah, right, so that's on. yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Back uh, played... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think the only thing I wanted to sort of add on um, onto that is when we're doing UI updates, specifically when we're pulling more information into game uh, to make it easy presentable to. Um, like the players, so they don't have to go to external resources, is CCP will need to balance out the burden of updating that every time. And I think this is something that CCP already struggles with quite a lot uh, in the fact that they make a small change, they have to go back and, and see what points of information and where it, all, all these changes affect it. And while I am totally 100% in for like putting as much information as possible, um, I think CCP probably has actually has to do a lot of work on how they're going to make that efficient internally as well. And uh, I think that's something that they've got to work on a lot. All right. Well, that's the session finder. Uh, Seamus, you had one last thing on this? or No, I was just going to say back when I played World of Warcraft on a regular basis, which was six years ago now, I... Basically, user at user made add-ons were ve are were very common, for, especially for running raids in World of Warcraft. 
Not that I remember what most of them were anymore other than raid assist, but they were very common. Yeah, okay. I would love to see a damage meter, a fleet damage meter. I know a lot of people hate that, but I would love to see, you know, you know, it just shows you who's doing the best in your fleet, right? Who's doing the worst. In general, anything that's just read, right? Read only. Should really not be such a huge issue to allow some sort of modding or customization. Well, uh, the, why would you want to see how much damage your people are doing so you could see who's who's whoring on kills and just putting in a little bit of damage here and there? Yeah, just like a, a real time, like how how's your fleet doing? Like how what are people doesn't doing? It, doesn't it feel like for fellow F one pushers in Nullsec, Doesn't it feel like the FC is the teacher and you don't want to be called and called out on in class when you're on a fleet? And this would give them more information. Like like you there, Matterall, haven't, you haven't done your homework. Um, you're only putting in. You know, two percent damage. Right, in a secret, he doesn't do his homework. We see things like that in the alliance tournament, where we notice when people burn out their guns, and we just call them shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it takes it takes them burning out their guns to realize that they screwed up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you can definitely skate by in Eve and be a bad player. Uh, take it from somebody who is. Um, <laughs> all right. The last thing about the uh, session finder that I thought was pretty cool was. Uh, I think Earth brought this up. Um, BPOs, where to buy them? That information isn't readily available. So you may want to get in on something, but you have to find out somehow where to go and buy it. There's no, it doesn't say on the BPO where it's built, you know, where you can buy it. You really just have to kind of go and find it. And it's not like exploration. It's, it's, you just have to go region to region to find out where the things are sold. And some things are sold in ore space. It's not in the show info window for the... Hold on. No, you have to go to Fuzzy Steve's site or similar to actually find out. Right. Third-party site. So uh, one of the things was put, put information cross-regional on where BPOs can be bought. And I think that makes a lot of sense. That said, BPOs are... Usually you have a lot of time to buy them because they've already existed. But when there's a gold rush for a BPO, like uh, the people who are going to get ahead are the ones that know how to get in and out uh, and go and buy those things. And like I said, some some stuff, like a lot of the mining stuff that's higher end, is only sold in nullsec in one system, in only three stations or four. And uh, this ties back to a very old topic you had, Meryl, when we were talking about why it was a problem that they removed the wiki. Because basically, right. you should have used, they should have used the, the wiki entries to actually source and, uh, well, make the players help put in the item info content. It seems like the wiki should have been embedded in the game somehow, like, you know, the old browser was or something, so that you had a library of information inside it so that you could actually play full screen. Because let's face it, anybody who's playing EVE Advanced isn't playing full screen, you know, unless they're high and want to immerse themselves or something. Uh, All right. So one of the things, videos, is, um, again, they want to basically bring back um, Scope Network, I think, which would be cool because those videos are pretty cool. I only had one problem with them. Maybe you guys disagree, but... When they said we've collected the the most brilliant scient- lore scientists in Eve Online, and then they show six or seven scientists standing next to each other, and it's all like the lore panel, and they're all dressed like rock stars. None of them have like a lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, just a quick question, noob. Is that like um, go into the video thing, check the last paragraph where they the CSM asked if they would consider allowing the community a chance to uh, create videos about the factions, and CCP said they wouldn't. I don't remember that being the response. Uh, remember when we I, I pitched like, "Hey, have you considered like saying having a contest to, um, 
you know, let new let players uh, themselves have a go at like, it was the, creating factions. Yeah, the introduction videos. I, f- yeah. I feel like they were working, you know, working on those themselves. Yeah, no, right. but I was like, it'd be. Oh, I didn't realize you wanted players to do that. Yeah, I was like, hey, could we have the community have a contest to like make some videos for factions so that that's we can funny, have cause... some more like. Yeah. As someone from Providence, I, I, I that's felt important. Like more interested in that than I guess they were. My bad. No, that's uh, that's actually the only note that I took out of videos uh, was uh, uh, update racial uh, intros, uh, but I didn't realize you were saying maybe you should open that up to the community. Oh no, they 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 did have plans previously. They talked about it last summer. It was in the last summer's note to update all of the new ra- the racial does, introduction videos. Does anyone know? Does anyone know if Jamil is still up there as Empress? Yes, she is, because my grandma said she wanted to be that empress. <laughs> Your grandma does not want to be that empress right now. I mean, uh, no, but you know. Yeah. They should, uh, they should probably update that. Jamil is no longer the empress. Um, and they have a female character. They really just need to make another, commission another portrait for that sort of thing. All right, and now the big finale, uh, Sovereignty and Nullsec. Uh, and we did talk about structure timers and vulnerability windows already in the show, so we can probably skip that unless there's anything else that you wanted to talk about, because I think Gentan thought that was pretty important. Uh, I mean, no, we can talk about like the general Nullsec balance stuff that we got talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple things that came out of there. One was structure timers and vulnerability windows. You can find out about that stuff there. And they also talked about uh, Intosis, which we already discussed, and how people really don't want to do the Intosis thing, and it doesn't promote healthy habits, at least in NullSec, of uh, uh, people not engaging and that sort of stuff. Uh, but what I thought was interesting, and I didn't realize CCP was on board with this, uh, that capital ships need a rebalance. And... Uh, uh, Apple Pear, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Do you agree with that, that uh, capital ships need uh, rebalancing? Uh, some of them, uh, some things that uh, what are outlined with uh, BFGs, uh, partially faxes and uh, Haas, yeah. The, they are very powerful. Uh, Force auxiliaries are too powerful, they were saying. Yeah, that, that's... High what... angle weaponry, the Haas, they call them, high angle weaponry, are they're actually yeah. too good? The, it's hard. Uh, like we had some fights. If you drop a few titans with Haas and you have enough faxes that you can keep your titans alive, then there's nothing you can do against it with a subcap fleet, or you have to bring enough supers yourself. So, it sometimes it can be very uh, overpowered with that. Yeah. And uh, worth noting that the, the reason for that is how the tracking uh, formula works in the game. It measures distance from the center of your model, not the edge of your model, which is how distance is done. And EVE Online, like the shown distance, is edge to edge. So effectively what happens is even if you're sitting at one end of a Titan, um, the tracking formula thinks you're 30 kilometers away. So you have like easy fucking tracking. Because those Titans are so big, uh, they they basically are... If you're shooting with those that weaponry, you're shooting from the tail end of the Titan in one instance. And in a different instance, you're shooting from the front of the Titan, and those are 30 kilometers apart. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know the numbers offhand, but it's why tracking titans used to work back in the day when we were using cap gun. You know, cores on dreads aren't a huge problem. The thing is, I don't know how you could fix that without like special casing, giving them a huge tracking penalty, which would also impact like cap warfare. There's a lot of problems there, but I'm I'm sure they'll find some way to fix it. Well, it's it's our new legacy code. <laughs> yeah, right. Because pause codes are finally uh, getting going away. So this is the new one. <laughs> the new one. the The thing about the the Titan is it's so massive. It takes up so much volume 
that when you do a smart bomb, it starts at the edge of your Titan radiating out. So you get 9,000, you know, uh, sorry, you get 7,000 meters from the front of your Titan if you're using a smart bomb in that direction. But you also get 7,000 meters from the back of your Titan if you're in that direction. But the Titan itself is so big that it gives you an extra who knows how many thousands of meters. And so your range becomes pretty huge. That's like, uh, and that's the same for battleships. Kilometers. Yeah. That, that, that's the reason why certain battleships are used more for uh, smart bombing than other battleships, because the model is much so much bigger. That's interesting. So the battleship gets that extra bonus, too, of, of, of uh, distance from the smart oh, yeah. bomb. Yeah, every ship, it is always at, at the ads of your uh, ship. So the bigger the ship, the bigger the range of the smart bomb. So with pie bombs, you want to use mm. certain ships that uh, bigger, so you have more range and cover more. Which is essentially why, unless you're Santo Traficante, um, you use battleships to pipe bomb stuff and smart bomb on gates with. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because the, the NC did this a couple of times. We would bring in a couple of Titans to wipe out everybody's drones when drones were still a big thing. Um, you know, you, you sit one on top of drones and they do uh, an area of damage attack and all those drones are just wiped out uh, really quickly. And uh, it was risky, but, you know, uh, you can do that when you have a bunch of extra Titans sitting around waiting to jump in if the first one gets in trouble. Not really fair, but... It is what it is. Well, I thought one of the interesting things was how much CCP agreed with this, that the uh, force auxiliaries are probably too strong and the high angle weaponry is probably too good at killing uh, small things, you know, if you're a big thing. And then the boson is too strong. Uh, I guess none of you guys are surprised. Uh, yeah, I mean, and they'll look at it in the near future. Three to <laughs> six months to three years. Uh-huh. That's, that's always the problem. Near future. Uh, yeah. But the next time that was there about the, they talked about in line with this because people getting headshot by it because they they drop so many supers and uh, carriers that they have so many fighters and they drop it on the FC and they get headshot off the field like all the time, and they're wanting to talking about uh, getting that fleet command ship etc. I'm still not a fan of it, but I don't know. It was good that they talked about it at least, but. Yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think it's just about, you know, dropping supers or anything like that on some, I mean, you know, people getting headshot with subcap fleets. I mean, yeah, but it's harder to do. Like if you fit your ship right, uh, they have to bring in full Macario fleet and probably two Macario fleets to headshot and FC on the, off the field if they have the right fit and the right implants, etc. But with supers and Titans, then there's literally nothing you can do against it. A uh, quick break. If uh, if you look at Jintan on screen, if you're watching the show live or watching a VOD of it, uh, he looks like a very uh, uh, noir figure in the shadows with an American flag behind him that's huge. <laughs> Even yeah, let, me, let me angle angle the camera better. One sec. <laughs> that's very. Uh, I'll get this like. I'll get this like looking. Yeah, there we go. Very now, film now I'm a villain. Very film now I'm about to take over the world. <laughs> All right. Last thing about sovereignty, Nullsec. Uh, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but. These super carriers are basically too hard to catch. I didn't realize that. Ratting when they're ratting, yeah, because you can just rat a line. There's like li- almost right. no risk as long as you're not incredibly bad. Okay, how do? I mean, but that's existed forever. Ratting aligned. I mean, yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely get that. But it would be nice to have some if, recourse. If they're worried about is faucets and how much people are making in ratting supers, then why not, you know, make them easier to catch? Uh, and so that's all it is, is basically you, you use your super, you align in case you need to get out right quick, you're already ready to warp out, and then you rat that way. 
you know, I, I would con I would contest that, that that this isn't necessarily a massive problem because all you need is one good dictator pilot, and that super's not going anywhere. Well, admittedly, like the whole point scram thing with a scepter kind of thing, yes, you do need it because, and the reason for that being is because the, the the supers get a bonus to their warp core strength per level. So it's five points per level. So if you have like level five super carrier, racial super carrier skill, um, you got 25 points warp core strength, which essentially means you need... Uh, my math fails me because I've had a few beers to drink, but you need a lot of scrams on you to stop you from leaving. But well, one yeah. cyber pilot will do it. Well, yeah, but the point that they're making though is it's aligned, meaning that meaning you come into system, boom, super just you know instantly yeah. off, right? You know, the so only way people are getting there for you to saber supers nowadays are using blue eyes to see which site they're warping to and when they warp from one site to the other then you log in the saber pilot that's already logged off in the system and then you warp to the site that it's warping to and then you bubble it that's like yeah. the only way to catch supers nowadays right well that's the, that's that's when they're vulnerable right is when they're in warp to the to the mm -hmm. next anomaly and landing and then getting aligned again you do or see a lot of them while they're sleeping you yeah. do see a lot of kill mails for uh delve ratting super carriers that it happens regularly not everybody's good at it uh i'm not i'm not arguing that it's too easy or too hard or anything like that i'm i am saying though that the, the, the statistics show that you still can get them yeah, yeah and i'm gonna yeah. go like towards that way that they are still catchable yeah they're difficult but you know you can still catch them is that is is the fact that you can still catch them a reason to not make it easier to catch them? Well, because they're expensive, and uh, you know, I don't I, think I don't want to lay down to that. I mean, you already get a bonus for it being incredibly expensive, which is that you make shitloads of fucking money. I mean, noisy minds aligned. So, if you I mean, don't you know, get caught, but yeah, I mean, if you get caught, can you get yourself on like out? You know, mm -hmm. rewards like active gameplay. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah that, that... So, go ahead. And that's pretty hard with certain supers, to, depending on how they drop it, etc. It's hard to get yourself out. You always need help from others. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, we're not saying, hey, we're going to also take away Sinos in sight. We're also going to like make it so that you have to die. We're not saying kill all supers. We're saying let supers actually get caught without you're the not, use of blue alts or wormholes. You're not saying death to all supers, which is something everybody says. I'm not saying death to all supers. I'm no. saying risk to death all supers. To all supers. <laughs> Risk tools. Right. Last thing that came out of this uh, CSM summit, which was kind of funny, I couldn't tell if it was a troll or not. But uh, Aerith, the guys from Goonswarm, uh, Aerith and Anomaly, basically asked CSM, "Why isn't everybody else doing what we do in Delve? Like, why aren't you guys winning too?" <laughs> there no, was no, no, no answer. No, no, no. Well, hold on a second. I didn't read it as that. I, oh, okay. I, I read it more Most as said, <laughs> the type, the type of living in Nullsec that they do. The, you know, the, this sort of um, um, you know fully sort of laid out society out in Delve. You know, top down, industrial bottom up. In, yeah, yeah, industrial. You know, everything. Market. You know, why are other groups not doing this sort of full fledged thing? You know. Um, and, and, and I mean, I'm gonna be really mean. Well, I, you know, it's like well, other groups do Don't things worry. different ways because that's just their style of thing, right? Uh, you know, goons have this you know fully sort of enclosed society out in Delve and Imperium. And, and, and I don't think yeah. I don't think everyone in the group knows how Imperium. I don't think people know how Delve runs differently from Fountain or 
Declan or where else you want to mention. I'll say for a moment that, for example, Delve is held in common by, by a group of people. We can PVE in any system in Delve. It's not divided by this corp or this alliance can be in this system or that. There's no, you have mad mining rights here, but not here, and you have ratting rights here, but not, no. It's all as a group. We all mingle together. We work together. And there's a there's support for uh, taking care of each other. There's a, there's more organization uh, and more tools than you will find in most of these other places, and fewer barriers and walls. Hmm. Yeah, because they don't build that wall. There is a collision among uh, renters in the north where they're, hey, you're on my territory. I paid for this. Get out. And this always uh, disputes about it in the. Uh, diplomats have to constantly, and maybe one of big, um, the biggest jobs Lady Scarlet does is just kind of sorting out these renters that are running into each other all the time. And uh, it just seems very inefficient. But there it is. All right. That wraps up our CSM coverage. Um, and that, there was some new stuff there. I encourage you to read the CSM minutes if you want to know where the game is headed and some of the stuff that is probably at some point going to make it into EVE and some of the stuff that you can kind of tell CS, uh, CCP isn't that interested in as well. Advanced players will read these notes to kind of figure out how to hedge their bets as they move forward. Uh, so to get prepared for what's coming, uh, it pays to listen to shows like this and some of these guys who've played a long time and know how the game works uh, and can read between the lines and also read the CSM minutes to kind of figure out um, what is actually being said and what is actually rumor. All right, so uh, let's wrap up by talking about... Um, uh, we're going to skip player news today. There was really just a few fights, and that was to test beat the crap out of CO2. Sorry, but they just did. And PL really whomped Providence, uh, taking out $140 billion in ships uh, and trading a, basically an Astro House in return. There you go. Nice salute, Jintan. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few. I'll give you a few. Tarot, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you uh, won the sympathy. for a link to the You won the sympathy war. Um, yeah, NC is fighting in it uh, yeah, as NC has kind of taken over the moons that they abandoned when they went back to defend their space from goons. There's only one thing I wanted to like point out on the whole NC thing, what? and that's armor ravens. Like, what the hell? What? Explain that. <laughs> so, just a quick one. Um, it was on the fleet last night. We were killing an init tower. They brought armor ravens with uh, in the mid slots all missile tracking computers that were able to snipe out at uh, 250 kilometers and were just cruise missile missiling um capital ships like yeah, <laughs> like faxes and we sat there one of them died i looked at the kill bell i was like what is this and the funny thing was it's the whole the, the they use the uh, command destroyers to just blink around the field so it doesn't matter where you send the fighters the, the these these ravens were blinking around the field and just carried on shooting. Brilliant. Oh, this is amazing. That, that, that guy that came up with that doctrine is literally my hero. Cavalry. Yeah. They even did a whole cavalry thing where they burned in with micro warp drives launching missiles, and just you got a rapid shot of uh, cruise missiles hitting one ship, and it just imploded like so fast. <laughs> it was not even funny. So, um, yeah. The unit guy that came up with that doctrine is officially my hero. And, well, uh, thank, thank God for innovators in this game. They're entertaining. Totally. Uh, all right, what's this uh, second pit PvP tournament? Is that you, Tybrace? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
a couple of guys from the Tuskers are running um, the pit, which is uh, it's in the second iteration for this year. Uh, it's a PvP tournament. It's um, 2v2, one destroyer, one cruiser versus one destroyer, one cruiser. Um, there are 32 places, 30 of them have been filled. Um, you can contact, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this right, Yemenoa Merinet in game. Um, if you like search for the pit PVP tournament on Reddit, you'll find a thread for it, but uh, that's opened up. There's two spaces left for that. Um, if you want to get involved with that or get in a nice little one, I recommend uh, tournament, I recommend getting involved in that too. Uh, cool. Put his name inside a chat there so you can see it. We'll put it in show notes. Actually, we don't really do show notes, but uh, I will anyway. Um, all right, let's go into out-of-game events. Tiberius? Yep. So uh, the Aussies um, are coming into their spring, uh, starting up with the summer as well. So, of course, they have a whole bunch of meets uh, coming up this month. Um, they've got a meet in uh, Perth on the 16th of September at the Monk, followed by a meet in Brisbane up at the Buffalo Bar, uh, and then Adelaide and the uh, a meet in Adelaide at the Elephant British Pub. Both of those are on the 23rd. So go to, if you're in those areas in the world, go check those out. They should be good. Um, there's also a two-day annual meet in uh, Poland for EVE uh, players as well. Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce the location, but you can find the location on evemeet.net. Um, and that's on the 22nd of September, and that runs for the weekend for two days. Um, OmegaCon, which is a big game meetup that there will be um, happening. Um, you can go check that out again on EveMeet. Uh, there is an EveMeet and a la at the LAN gaming department at that uh, OmegaCon, so make sure if you're an Eve player, you go check that out. Um, and then uh, Eve Vegas has now officially sold out. Finished. You're not getting a ticket for that. First time ever, which is just brilliant. It shows how popular E-Vegas is becoming, um, and that starts on the 6th of October. So there is plenty of stuff going on in the world, particularly if you're in Australia. Uh, make sure you check out uh, the Poland meet if you're in that Eastern Europe, uh, OmegaCon as well, and uh, E-Vegas too. And uh, also get ready for 4 and 5 November Amsterdam. That's uh, coming up also pretty soon. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Wednesday, yeah. is that one? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I also want to know, um, in, in the, of course, as soon as it's... <laughs> <laughs> Quiet for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I'll Let say... me just say this, as long as your phone's ringing, Dirk, it should be noted that Eve Vegas is, is, is very popular. It sold out for the first time. It's growing. And in large part, I think, due to our friend here, Dirk McGurk, who pumps that show... Right. I, I, no, I mean, I've got a limited reach on that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that it's word of mouth amongst the community, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think fans was, come to was, meet you. Well, uh, bullshit. Well, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was actually in the minutes there was a discussion of the thing, and they, and they brought it up because I remember when it happened last year when, when I can't remember if it was Guard or, or Falcon asked from the stage, raise your hand if this is your first Eve Vegas. And there were a lot. I mean, you know, there were a lot of them. So, I mean, we continue to get people who haven't come before. And it is, it's word of mouth. It, you know, it's not just word of mouth from media types or whatever. It's word of mouth from the people that are, go you know, the people that are going that tell their friends and say, yeah, you're going to like this, come along. I, I, I agree with that, definitely. But I also agree that people kind of look to see like, well, what's the minimum I can, at least I'll get to meet Dirk McGurk. I think there's some people that I watch. I don't think that's I think there is. is. Sorry, whatever. Oh. Or I get Maybe it's Matterall. Maybe they're coming to see Matterall. Have you thought uh, about that? Not, not, you've been on a lot longer than I have. And the, 
the thing about eVegas that Carnero suggested this idea, and I think it's a great idea, is we're going to have something like a talking in stations breakfast, where if you want to join us for breakfast, Carneros will be there, Dirk will be there, I'll be there. Basically, the American side of the show. Uh, sorry, you Brits, that you didn't come. I, Tiberius, I try to get a room for you, buddy. But uh, maybe next year. Man, when, when it comes to holidays, the wife preference for holidays always come first. Sorry about that. Well, I don't know. Italy sounds a bit better than Las Vegas, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah. So anyway, if you are, if you did get a ticket for Las Vegas, congratulations. We will see you there. Uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, we definitely want to have a breakfast uh, with all the uh, people who watch the show because we're all in it together. Uh, you guys are part of the show. I mean, one, uh, of the I, you know, one of the things I do want to say about eVegas, and, and this goes for other player meets out there, is that it began as just a, a a player meet. I mean, it began out of goons uh, and and you know the CFC you know, putting something together out there, and then expanded. And then, look, CCP is not going to take over all of them out there. But I mean, th this is where it begins, right? It begins with players getting together out there for for you know something related to Eve. So I mean, we all we always need to remember kind of where these things originated from. This was not a CCP idea. You know, this actually began with with players just doing something together. Yeah, that's cool. All right, uh, contributions today, Seamus. All right. So Zethos Rengraku has just resubscribed to the stream for twelve months in a row. The Inimical has resubscribed for four months in a row. Fisk two hundred twenty three has just subscribed to the stream. Uh, HRDKX New Man has also just subscribed to the stream, and Wolf Glenn has tipped fifty dollars. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wolf Glenn oh, being wow. the, the sugar daddy. Everybody who does this stuff, we we take time out of our lives to do it, and we enjoy doing it. Uh, it is nice to see that you guys appreciate it, and that's a really nice way to do that. Thanks. All right, uh, I would like to thank all of you guys that showed up to watch this show. We went a little long because there was so much material to cover, but um, it's great, and we did pile in this time. We really did, and so I want to thank Apple Bear, Apple Pear, uh, and Caleb, and Carneros, Dirk, Jintang, Jeronica, uh, who had to leave earlier, Noobman, Seamus, and Tiberius. Thank you guys for showing up and contributing to this one. Last, last comments from anyone. Yeah, I'd just like to say that if you have any more questions about the CSM Minutes, there's a thread up on the EVO forums. Uh, myself, Apophony, Suetonia, and Yukiko will be doing a podcast uh, where we go over some questions uh, later on. Yeah, uh, and my last comment would be that uh, we will tell you more information about uh, the Talking in Stations breakfast at EVO Vegas uh, at, at a later show, maybe next week. We'll Come see us in Vegas. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. That's it for Talking in Stations. We will see you next week. Fly safe. <laughs>